raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. I don't know if you've ever had this, Jake, but like a little bit of a nervous feeling like, man, I really hope that guest calls in today. It's like kind of a bigger name than we usually have. Maybe not like the closest with them, a little bit of a long shot. Are we calling him or is he calling us? Uh, we are calling Bob Costas today around 9 o'clock, and he's been terrific with communication back and forth. I don't want to act like um, that is part of the issue, but, I mean, I kind of feel that way about Aaliyah Boston earlier this week when she's on Good Morning America. I don't think Bob Costas is making a lot of hits on the old uh, 22nd mid-market radio show throughout his week. So very grateful that he's going to join us, but, again, just a little ounce or two of nerves I'm like, man, I really hope he answers when Mark dials him up. He's said to call him on his landline. I'm impressed he has a landline. I appreciate that. Sound quality purposes. Oh, yeah. Well, he gets it, right? He's a pro. He's been been around a while. He is a pro. He's going to join us coming up at 9 o'clock. Dane Brugler at 8.15. You've heard Dane on with us before. The athletic NFL draft analyst. He is not very high on Hendon Hooker. He's got Anthony Richardson, Will Levis pretty close together. Um, he's got a lot of Purdue guys ranked in his big old beast is what he calls it. It was over, uh, I think 400 prospects he ranks. So we'll chat with Dane coming up in the eight o'clock hour. I think I told you, Kevin, when I first, my first real job in media was in St. Louis. And when I got to the place where I worked, you know, it's like, oh, this is, Al that works in accounting and here's Bill that'll help you on board and here's Susan that'll help you you know find which office is yours and every person and I'm not kidding you when I tell you every person that I met where I worked had some sort of a claim they wanted to tell me about what they had done for Bob Costas you know, I was Bob Costas' uh, first banker. You know, I was the person that told Bob Costas where to invest his money. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was the one that – my I got Bob Costas in touch with his real estate agent when he came to St. Louis. My daughter babysat his children. Uh, yeah, all that. It was unbelievable. And, you know, I think he still lives in St. Louis, does he not? Yeah, I. to be honest with you, I'm not totally sure where he resides right now. Um, but for those who missed it, you know, I teach class at IU. His niece is in my class. He came and spoke couple weeks back was outstanding you know you're always just curious how people like that are frankly i i you know he is obviously right up there on any sort of gold standard of what this industry is all about and has a lot of ties i think here locally from you know his rapport and his reporting of bob knight obviously was here a whole lot during bulls pacers series and um, certainly has been an iconic voice for the olympics over the past you know few what decades. I heard, um, and I, I've I don't know him either. I've met him on a few occasions, and he was very pleasant. I, I heard that, like when he spoke at Indiana to some of the students, that he was extremely humble about his level of accomplishments and the big things, and very sure of himself about like the very small things, like in talking about his broadcasting was very open about like I came short here or I did not do this the right way or I wasn't good at this. But then 
at other things like by the way i one time like threw a fastball over the plate better than mariano rivera you know that kind of thing yeah i thought he had a really nice balance of like incredible bob costa storytelling that only someone that has experienced the things he's experienced could offer up um, which is great and entertaining and something that probably you or I would love to just grab a beer with him and post up at a bar and, and listen to those things. But then he also had some relatable, I think, kind of core beliefs that a 20-year-old could take away from that because, you know, let's be frank, not everyone is going to turn into Bob Costas. So I thought he achieved a pretty nice balance of that. So did This is a dumb question. Um did most of the kids you think know who Bob Costas was? And I don't mean that as a knock on him at all. No. I just, you know, I mean, it's... Yeah, I a larger percentage than I thought. You know, he's he's north of 70, Jake. Yeah, that's it, what I mean. It, but I mean, the Olympics, though, he's kind of the face of the Olympics. Right. I know Tariko has, you know, taken over. I didn't realize that the first... There's a Bob Costas uh, scholarship at Syracuse. The first recipient of that was Mike Tariko. You kind know... Fitting um, how that torch has been past i think i've told you before i was thinking about this this morning and good morning to you by the way on again picture perfect thursday morning here jake query along with kevin bowen roy g biv right over riley towers uh mark dykton here as well i you know when you think about bob costas a career like that the thing that's interesting is everyone is going to have their different variation or interpretation of what his signature moment is For some, it might be the Jordan return game, which was here in Indianapolis. For some, it might be the Jordan final shot against Utah. For some, it may be like the 82 World Series. You know, for many, it would be the Olympics. For For some, it might be just his interviewing. Yeah, his interviewing. For me, it, it is being the on court host of the NBA finals that had to to balance between the game and then throwing it back to New York to Tom Brokaw for the O.J. Simpson Bronco chase. Sure. And I know that I've mentioned this to you before, Kevin, and this is kind of a weird anecdote, but it's 7 in the morning, so bear with me. I I was thinking about, like, if you were to try to tell your class what that, why that was so significant, the Bronco chase and why everyone was so glued to it, and then I got to thinking about it, and I thought, you know, so I'm 50. When the Bronco chase happened, I was 21. I'm talking about the O.J. Simpson Bronco chase, for those who aren't familiar. I was 21 when that happened. I saw O.J. Simpson play in the twilight of his career when I was, like, in kindergarten or first grade, okay? And then after that, I knew O.J. Simpson primarily from Hertz commercials, The Naked Gun, television work on NBC and he was this gregarious outgoing everybody loved him fun personality and I know that I've said this on the air before but to put that in perspective for young people today that are in college they would have seen if somebody's in college right now that means that they were born in what year probably 03 somewhere in there right I mean on average so in their childhood they would have seen like kind of the end of the Peyton Manning career but they know Peyton Manning primarily probably from the Manning cast and from maybe Saturday Night Live or from commercials notably and his brothers and everything else so to put it in perspective like that's what it, it 
that is the closest person that I can think of to give perspective to people as to why that was such a big deal. And so that night for Bob Costas, that is one thing in broadcasting you never prepare for, to have the biggest sports personality and icon involved in a terribly tragic and horrific story and having to balance it against the epicenter of the sports world. Remember the 30 for 30 they did on that? Yeah. Just how crazy of a day it was in the world of sports. Um, That's actually probably my favorite 30 for 30. Yeah, it is. It's up there, especially for me. You know, when I was I was five years old when all that took place. So for seeing all of that unfold, um, it's pretty crazy to watch. So Bob Costas at 9 o'clock again. Dane Brugler in the 8 o'clock hour. We'll have um, indie product Ted Karras, who plays for the Bengals, captain for the Cincinnati Bengals. Can join us to close out the show. Really cool cause uh, here locally, um, and we'll get with him about a guy that's played with Joe Burrow and Tom Brady in his career. Pretty good little quarterback situation. Speaking of quarterbacks, was up at the Colts complex yesterday. I think words and certainly actions continue to uh, mesh together in the lack of interest in Lamar Jackson. I think Shane Steichen, while he was short and direct, which is how he's going to be in every single press conference setting. That dude has zero dead air. He does not just waste words. Um, I, again, I, I do not expect Lamar Jackson to be a Colt. Um, but the Colts had their first media availability of the offseason. DeForest Buckner, Michael Pittman, Zaire Franklin were the three players that also met the media. I kind of forgot until listening to Buckner yesterday. Do you remember we had like that 12-hour span where Twitter acted like DeForest Buckner was about to be traded like two months ago? I mean, that that seems to happen all the time, but yes. I mean, not with Buckner, but just Was general, that like the right? Bears rumor, Mark? I'm trying to think of what it was. Or was Michael Pittman more the Bears rumor? I think it was Pittman was more the Bears rumor. Yeah, Buckner said he woke up one morning here a few months back and had a couple of buddies on opposing teams be like, dude, is this serious? We would love to have you. Um, but he made it very clear that none of that was true. Uh, but I also thought he had an interesting point. You know, Stefan Gilmore, who again, in my opinion, I think he requested a trade. You know, he's year 12 in the league. DeForest Buckner's year 8 in the league. Buckner kind of admitted, if I were at Gilmore's time in my career, I probably would have to think long and hard about this situation that is happening here in Indianapolis because again on paper it screams rebuild you know I'm not going to lie to you it's still I, I want to grab my 40 of Diet Mountain Dew and pour out a little bit of it each time you say Stefan Gilmore's name right me too <laughs> yeah, it just brings <laughs> a, little tear tear. Up a little bit uh-huh. <laughs> I mean one <laughs> left eye is watering up here <laughs> one of the greater sound clips in the history of this program that I believe we officially retired it didn't we we played taps yeah yeah but we'll all have always have Alex Pierce. <laughs> Mark, should we? Should we? Mark is wondering if he should tempt fate. Poor, poor Alex Pierce. <laughs> well played, Kevin. Well played. Let's see what happens now. It's early. Yeah, nobody's up. Um, Kevin, tell me what what all goes on into different like OTAs and get-togethers. I mean, I, I always think of it as when I was in college and I was in a fraternity, 
we had what was called summer chapter. And I think it was like, you know, we convinced our parents that we had to get together and vote on things and appropriate money and whatever else. And in reality, it was everybody just getting together to, oh my gosh, we haven't gotten together and had beers together in six weeks. Let's do it again and reminisce about the old times of last semester. That's what it feels like to me when it comes to the NFL and the OTAs and things like that. Yeah, I think it's different when you have a new head coach and you just had the embarrassment of 4-12-1. I mean, Michael Pittman said it yesterday. Last year was the lowest point of his football career. Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate in in describing that things have got to change. Um, when you look at where the Colts are offensively versus defensively, the offensive mindset has got to be a whole lot different because you, you've, you've changed your entire staff outside of Reggie Wayne over there. So I do think offensively, it looks a little bit different for those guys this time of year than it does defensively. But right now, strength conditioning uh, for the first two weeks, they will get a mini camp coming up here, I think just before the draft. So about two weeks away from that. Uh, that is because they have a first-year head coach. Part of the NFL rules allow you to have an additional mini camp. Uh, but really, mid to late May into the month of June is when they'll get on the field in more of these 11-on-11 settings and can have you know some OTA sessions and the mandatory mini camp. I, I do think something that we can get into today. You know, we we've talked so much quarterback, understandably so, but I think there are some needs elsewhere. Oh, you know, big n- time. not just quarterback related. And if you look at the draft picks for the Colts, um, assuming they don't trade up, you know, how will they spend those other draft picks and complement that quarterback? I do think I, I I know we touched on this a little bit earlier in the week, but. Again, maybe this is we're two weeks out of the draft and we need a new storyline, but it just seems like there is a little bit more chatter about Houston and the potential of them passing on a quarterback at number two. I I originally thought, boy, this would be great news for the Colts. I thought to myself, you know what? Arizona sits there at number three. You would think they are going to want... Will Anderson, you know, we had Deontay Lee on earlier in the week, NFL draft analyst. He said if that's the cleanest prospect, that's the surest kind of Hall of Fame pick if you're going to pick anyone out of this draft class. So my thinking has been if quarterbacks go one and two and the Colts believe there's a big difference between, let's just play out the Anthony Richardson-Will Levis debate, Arizona's not going to want to trade back to like eight. They just want to trade back one spot because they know that Indy's coming up for a quarterback and they want to get Will Anderson. The question then becomes, if Houston takes Will Anderson at two, leaving, theoretically, C.J. Stroud on the board at three, now, Arizona, they don't have that can't-miss defensive prospect sitting there. So the the need to trade back just one spot isn't as dire as it would be, I think, if Anderson is still there. So now, all of a sudden, if C.J. Stroud sits there at three, that's where I think phone lines could be absolutely blowing up for Arizona. And if you're the Cardinals, you're probably looking at that and saying, let's just take the best price. We don't care about moving back necessarily one or four spots because, again, the can't-miss prospect isn't there like we thought he would be there. He just went ahead of us to Houston at two. That's where I think we could see just fireworks galore two weeks from tonight. I have a question for you that I want you to ponder, and then we can you can dive into this answer coming up, um, you know, ten minutes or so from now. But that would be this, Kevin. 
all of us in the workplace, no matter what you do for a living, you know, we work at a radio station that we underwent a sales change, what, I'm trying to think, four months, six months ago? So everyone's wondering, oh gosh, you know, new boss, what's that mean? I got to meet the new boss and, and find out what their vision is and, you know, et cetera. And that is true for any line of work. I, I don't care what you do for a living. You work in an ad agency, you work at a hospital, you work as an over-the-road trucker, whatever it might be, at some point, you get a new boss. And it's like, so what, have you met the new boss yet? Well, no, but, you know, I meet the new boss this week, and I'm really hoping that the new boss likes the way the old boss did it, because I did. Now, every time that happens, you try to determine, no matter what your role is at your place of work, you are trying to determine whether or not your, whether or not your work approach is aligned with the philosophies of the new boss, etc. Sometimes some people you can look at and immediately go, I don't know how that's going to work out. Other times you're like, this is a great opportunity for that person because they've maybe been a little overlooked by the old boss. So my question for you, Kevin, that you can think about and get to once we come after the check down is which players on the current Colts roster probably are most likely to benefit from a change of scenery within the coach's room and the fact that you think you know what that is somebody that either Frank Reich or Jeff Saturday I'm not saying didn't like but their coaching style or the style of play they brought to the table didn't fully take advantage of the skill set of player x and then give me another player that you have always felt like might have been getting not favoritism, but additional reps because of their relationship within those coaches' office that now have to start over from square one again. Because that has to be the case. There have to be some players that you look at and you go, okay, well, this player now has to prove himself all over again. Everybody knows Jonathan Taylor's a great player, right? There's no doubt that Jonathan Taylor is going to be your starting running back, regardless of who your coach is. Ted Lasso could be the coach. Jonathan Taylor stays as the running back. But are there positions where things might be a little more opened up during training camp than they would have been if we just would have reset the same coaching staff? So you got like 10 minutes to think I like about it. that. I, I like that. Uh, last night in the NBA, the play-in, we had both the 10 seeds win. Uh, you had the Chicago Bulls north of the border. Zach Levine was incredible in the second half. 32 points after half. The Raptors blow a 19-point lead. Their season is over. Chicago will now travel to Miami on Friday to take on the Heat. Winner, quite the commute. Yeah, quite <laughs> quite the commute to say the least there. The winner becomes the 8 seed, and the loser just stays in Miami, right? Mm-hmm. You, just, you just start the yep. offseason uh-huh. right then and there. Uh, are the Thunder the Cinderella story? I think anytime the Thunder are involved, they're considered a Cinderella story, right? The Thunder beat the Pelicans last night, 123-118. So the four play-in games, three road teams have won. So the Thunder will now take on the T-Wolves coming up on Friday night. Again, the winner of that becomes the eight seed. That would be against the Nuggets. You have the second youngest team in NBA history. In the Oklahoma City Thunder, one game away from being in the playoffs. They also have, I think it's 15 first-round picks in the next five drafts. 
15 first-round picks in the next five drafts. I, I mean... And, the, and their number two overall pick didn't even play this year. Yeah. I mean, you've got to... you got to parlay a ton of those, right? Just to condense down roster spots. Shea you know. Gildress Alexander with 32 last night. Josh Giddy 31. Lou Dort, 27. And the Thunder beat the Pelicans. Mark, you know the the little game that I've, the little pride that I have in myself of knowing mileage between two cities. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, Chicago to Miami. Oh. Well, would now, it be Toronto to Miami because they're flying from Toronto? Oh, I thought you were just saying from Chicago. Well, they no, got the I, game I, tomorrow. I'm assuming they're just yeah. going pretty much straight from. I'm with Toronto Mark. To I Miami. assume they maybe they spent the night in Toronto and fly down this morning. Yeah. Chicago or Toronto? Well, that's they're not driving though. Uh, that's that, fourteen hundred and I was going to say fourteen thirty from Chicago. That was going to be my guess. What is it from Chicago to Miami? Chicago to Miami. Fourteen thirty was what I calculated in my head off a rough guesstimate. Well, that's not right. What's it say? Because it goes Chicago to Miami, Indiana. Come on now. <laughs> Didn't we determine there's not a Miami, Indiana, but there's a Miami? Uh, Thirteen hundred and seventy-eight miles. Okay, I was so up by Toronto miles. was fourteen. I always 1400. thought for some reason Ruth Riley was from Miami, Indiana. Isn't there? She's is, a great player. She was a great player. Isn't it Miami County, Indiana? Yeah, but I think I, I, the high school. I thought like isn't it was the high school listed, in North Miami? That was listed like you know, Neil Ivy from St. Louis, Missouri. Ruth Riley from Miami. Would Indiana. that make Indiana Beach South Beach? That very well could be. You aren't the first person that has said that. Really? Just a glorious beach. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There is more than corn in Indiana. How about the Rays? Should we get Trisha Whitaker on at this point? I mean, this is um, this is incredible. You know what's interesting is the Rays are now, what, 12-0, right? After their 9-7 win last night over the Red Sox, Rays 12-0. 1,000 people for each win. <laughs> Crowds are struggling. I mean, honestly, if you were in Tampa, why would you go? Twelve. When you look at this, well, I, I think I saw that they got twelve thousand people. I mean, it is weird. I went to the Metrodome. I saw the Twins play. Uh, I had to cover Pacers summer league one year when it was in Minneapolis. Sue Foster was the what an videographer. Awful place for summer league. Yeah, it was. So Sue Foster, the videographer for Channel Six, and I went up to Minneapolis for like three days, and we're like, oh, let's go to the Twins game. And it was at the Metrodome, which was basically the RCA Dome, but a little bit wider. And that was wider, by the way. Um, and it was weird to watch baseball indoors on on carpet. And that's what I think. I mean, if you live in the Tampa-St. Pete area, it would be odd to go inside and just watch baseball in well, you obviously understand a stadium why they don't play that was – totally. But a stadium that was super cool when it first opened for like six weeks. And then it was like, this place is weird. And I guess several people pointed out to me, if you live in Tampa, you know, the commute from Tampa to St. Pete is like, no thanks, especially like in the middle of the day. I mean, it just, it takes forever. Yeah, the Rays don't pack them in, but I do think people there care. My cousin lives in Tampa and all about the Rays. One game away from tying the modern day record of 13-0 and to start a season, so... Pretty darn incredible what the Rays have been doing. Um, percentage, you think, of the population, sports population, maybe our listening audience that can name the Tampa Bay Rays manager. Oh, 5%. Five? I think five is very high. How about this? I'd okay. say 0.5. How many can name three Rays? Ray Buchanan, Ray Cortapassi, hmm. Ray LaMontagne. There we go. Ray Liotta. 
Ray R.I.P. Yeah, after <laughs> Rosarena, that's where I'm kind of like, uh, Miss, you know, Carl Crawford still a Ray. Tyler Glass now, former Indianapolis Indian. Kevin Cash, by the way, the manager. Shane McCallahan, or however you oh, say yeah, it. Oh, yeah, he started the uh, mm-hmm. All-Star game a few years ago. And you got Wandy Diaz. God, Cash has been there for or a Wander while. Wander Franco, Yandy Diaz, that's what it is. Boom, I'm naming like five of them. Look at you. Look at me go. Just raise expert. I'm playing MLB The Show on Xbox, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> it is an absolutely beautiful Thursday morning. That has been a statement we have said pretty much all week long. Beautiful weather this entire week in Indy. Hopefully you have enjoyed getting outdoors for a bit of it. Uh, Dane Brugler coming up in the 8 o'clock hour. Again, NFL Draft Analyst. From The Athletic, we'll chat with him, Bob Costas at 9, and Cincinnati Bengals center Ted Karras going to join us to round out the show today. Kevin Bowen, Jake Quarry, Mark Dykton right here on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. The Morning Checkdown. Omaha! 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 On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. All right, both the 10 seeds, they win last night in the play-in of the NBA playoffs. So it would be the Chicago Bulls upsetting the Toronto Raptors 109-105, coming back from 19 down in the third quarter. Uh, the Bulls win behind Zach Levine's just incredible performance. 39 points for Levine, 32 in the second half. That is the first time since November 2018 that the Raptors have blown a lead of that size. So that ends Toronto's season and it keeps Chicago's alive until Friday night when Chicago takes on Miami down in South Beach. And Jake out west, it was the Thunder getting it done. The Oklahoma City Thunder who have 27 first-round picks over the next three years, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 29. Had, uh-huh. Just theoretically, have had 27 night. in the last three years. Maybe it's finally... Honestly, that's got to be a patient fan base because they've been waiting for a while on that. And then, of course, Chet Holmgren not available for Oak City uh, this year. Major League Baseball. I was going to say, did you guys see DeMar DeRozan's daughter just like pounding the Raptors last night? Yeah, she was awesome. She was like talking smack to her Mm -hmm. former friends. Yelling during free throws and everything. Uh She was great. Uh, Last night, Major League Baseball was the Cardinals over the Rockies 7-4. Braves over the Reds 5-4. White Sox on the short end with the Twins 3-1. The games of note in our PBR sweepstakes. Oakland over the cute fella, Orioles, 8-4. I was way too invested in that game. It was it, 4-4, and I'm like, why am I caring about this game because so much in April? you want to know of the three, what are we even calling this? Like the, We took the three teams, all projected to be under mm-hmm. 500, on which one is going to have the best record. And Mark, you are off and running with your Arizona Diamondbacks. Know, 7-3 was, yesterday over Milwaukee. That's why I was pulling for the A's because at least that would knock your Orioles off a little bit of well, my, my pace. My A's then. <laughs> yeah. Um, we desperately needed a win, so thank you, Mark. I noticed this last night in the Midwest League. The South Bend Cubs beat Brendan the, King. They beat the Beloit Sky Carp. Now, that makes no sense. Aren't carp bottom feeders? Isn't that what they're known as? How could a, how could a carp be in the sky? That makes no sense at all. Throw a stick of dynamite in the water and watch him fly. So Michael Shrewsbury the throughout sky, the first pitch at a recent game for the South Bend. Coach. Was it against the Beloit Sky Carp? That makes no sense whatsoever. There's no car. I, it, I, I don't get that. Uh, St. Paul Saints <laughs> over the Indianapolis Indians five. Baffled by a minor league mascot. You know, going back to the Thunder here for just a second, um, is it a bit humbling to think the Thunder? You know, because obviously it's you know Tank City and blah blah blah. 
Is it a bit humbling that they have won four playoff games and not including last night since the Pacers last won one playoff game? Yeah, I mean, it's... They've won a playoff series since the Pacers last won a playoff series? Especially considering how many... And look, they have good young talent, but how many players can people name on the Thunder right now? You know what I mean? Yeah, that's got to change for the Pacers coming up next season. This is a sky carp is also another name for a goose. Wow. Ah, there we go. I mean, minor league baseball that makes teams sense because some of the more outrageous That makes sense nicknames. because geese are just like bottom feeder annoying. They're kind of the carp of the sky. That yeah. makes sense, yeah. And the logo is a goose with like a red scarf on. Why Why the red scarf? I, you'd have to ask the Beloit Sky Carp about that. <laughs> and the Beloit is the feeder for who? Because that doesn't sound like the old South Well, Night not Cubs. a bottom feeder, as we see. It said they used to be affiliated with the Brewers. They no longer are. I'll have to look into... Twins. I'm going twins. Twins? Yeah. Okay. Give me a sec. I'll look it up. Uh, Jake, you're off to Long Beach coming up tomorrow? Indeed. Grand Prix of Long Beach is going to be coming up this weekend for IndyCar. Should be a 3 o'clock start Eastern time, so around noon Pacific time. Uh... That is, for those that are unfamiliar, Long Beach is probably the most historic street course race in North America. So a street course meaning a circuit that is built temporarily using an actual city street. And Long Beach has a ton of history and has always been a big deal, especially on the West Coast. So it's always special to go there. Uh, Watkins Glen is probably the most historic road course. IndyCar doesn't run there anymore. But for me, Long Beach is, the aside from Indy, which speaks for itself. Long Beach is the crown jewel event of the calendar. I love going there. People speak really highly of just the Uh, ambiance around the street race. It's the best. um, Seems to be kind of a mainstay. Didn't it close out the year at one point during COVID? Or maybe I'm imagining it not being in April. You're right. It was moved. You know, when the COVID schedule happened, it was... Uh, I think that's where we might have ended the season, yes. Yeah, that was kind of a jumbled year, but this is back in its normal slot. Barber to close out the month, and then obviously the month of May, you'll have the road course race here and the Indianapolis 500. Did I hear potentially we could be adding one more? We could get to 34? Yeah, there's a lot of discussion about that. A couple of teams have denied that they would be the one to put in a 34th. At 33 right now. At 33. I I think they'll be 34. Uh, We shall see, right? There are a lot of people that think, that gets awkward. Just one person totally, getting cut? Totally. And there are some that think like, yeah, unless you can do two, do you add just one? I mean, speaking from experience, you know, uh, can you imagine? Hey, uh, 14 trying out for the basketball team. We're going to keep 13. <laughs> <laughs> were, did, were you on the short end of that? I, I got scissors. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, 
and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. There's thankfully there were more than just, you know, 14 trying out, but I'm thinking, boy, uh, the old piece of paper outside the coach's office could look a little bit different. Do you know that when I was in middle school with basketball cuts, you know how they did it? I usually don't they just like post the roster Mm -hmm. and like after practice you go and look when i was in middle school in the seventh grade the way that they announced who made the team is he had us all sit down and one by one he went around he's like okay now if i'm starting a game tomorrow here's what i'm using for my point guard and he like walks over and you know grabs william woodson is like come on over here and then my power forward here's cameron mcdaniel and come on over here and he went all the way down the line until there were like, and oh, I he, did not. He'd be on the six o'clock news tonight if he did that. Yeah, like he's like in my last spot. I got one spot left. Power forward. I got one spot left. Who's a guy that can play a couple different positions? I can tell you, it's a big guy. And I'm standing there, and it's like me and Grady Flatter, like uh. And it was Grady Flatter. I got cut in seventh grade, and then made it back after that. But I just thought, like, well, that's an odd way of doing it. it it's unique. I, I kind of like it. Again, I don't think parents would love it. Uh, part it's of me was unique, hoping he said. Part of me was hoping he'd be like, and our enforcer, Jake Query. <laughs> no, no, he was basically like, I, I was like the last kid cut, I think, and then in, came back and made it eighth grade, and then freshman year, and you know, on from there. But your guess for the uh, Beloit Skycarp affiliation was what, Jake? Twins, Kevin. Uh, Royals. Way off. They have a commute like the Bulls. The Miami Marlins. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. God, that is pretty They obscure. were the Brewers, Twins, and Athletics uh, previous affiliation. All right, Dane Brigler going to join us coming up in the 8 o'clock hour to talk NFL Draft. Bob Costas at 9. Jake's tease a little bit earlier, which Colts could benefit, maybe could not benefit from uh, Shane Steichen being here in Indy. We'll chat about that next and also get into the non-quarterback needs for the Colts here with the draft starting two weeks from tonight. It is 18 minutes before the hour of 8 o'clock. My name is Jake Query, Kevin Bowen, the other voice you hear on this program, Mark Dykton, manning the controls for us. I just looked out, by the way, there is someone rappelling down the side of the building next door. Is that normal? Oh. Like cleaning windows? I, I think it is a window cleaner. In, in fact, yeah, it's a window cleaner. I don't know that I've ever seen that. I always uh, see those and think that job does not get paid enough. <laughs> every Slash once in a while, is it necessary? Every Can't once in a while, you rain. See, you see the story on the news every once in a while where, where they're like, two window washers got stuck when their rappel line froze. A squirt gun with some soap and water <laughs> on the circle and just fire it up there. Can't you just like? I guess you wouldn't be able to reach out and like reach underneath and do the upper, but then like, what do you do for the lower? I don't, I don't know, but yeah. Anyway, there's uh, somebody doing it out here. Uh, Kevin, we talked about it earlier. The Colts are gathering together. They have name tags over on West 56th Street. Hello, my name is. And Shane Steichen, the new head coach, is walking around the locker room and saying to everybody, well, oh, okay, yes, Mr. Taylor, I believe we've met. Nice to meet you. So the question becomes, now that you have a new head coach, Give me the two players that when they heard the Colts made a coaching change thought to themselves, hallelujah. Not because I didn't like Jeff Saturday, not because I didn't like Frank Reich, but I just feel like a different philosophy or approach or personality is most going to benefit me because I feel like for whatever reason I just was kind of out of favor or in 
off to the side. And now a new lease. Give me two guys that fall into that category for you. So one immediately came to mind, and that was Jelani Woods. I thought there were moments, particularly late last season, um, the Pittsburgh game really stands out where Jelani Woods had, I thought, what was kind of a coming out party, and then just kind of got fizzled out the rest of the season. And again, I think you can acknowledge with the passing game, there are a lot of factors that played into such a poor, poor effort there. But still, that was a bit odd to me that you didn't try to kind of pepper him a little bit later in the year. Because, you know, what do we see with the Pacers down the stretch? It was play Andrew Nemhard and Benedict Matherin until their you know, sneakers fall off. And I didn't get the sense that they tried that as much with Jelani Woods or Alec Pierce. And I felt like they should have, considering the trajectory of where the season was at and, and where it was heading. So he's the first one. Jake, I might cop out with the second one and just kind of throw the entire offense in general. I, I just think you needed some fresh um, ideas, thoughts, a little bit more of a different schematic approach um, to that side of the ball. Um, you know, a, a name that I, I'm curious how they will react because I think their play has dipped in recent years. It was a name that we've talked about as a potential cut and or trade candidate. Um, I think he's approaching the age of 30, if not already at 30, but... What's 2023 in the future hold for Ryan Kelly? You know, how much was offensive line issues in the past few years related to their position coach, Chris Strasser? Right. And how much was it just injuries starting to kind of get to Quentin Nelson, especially get to Ryan Kelly, get to Braden Smith a little bit? Because I thought all three of them, in different levels, their games dipped this past season. But I would think Jelani Woods, and you know, certainly some of it is just natural year one to year two. Uh, but you know, tight ends were a big part of what Philadelphia did, and you know, certainly there's history in, with the Chargers for Shane Steichen as well. Uh, but I would go with him individually. Okay, I would think the tight end position. Now, I think I told you in talking to people about the tight end, people inside the building actually were like, "Look, we've got." We have good tight ends in terms of their size in both Moali Cox and Jelani Woods, but I think the term that was used to me was, you know, they're battleships. It takes them forever to turn around. So, in other words, they're not your Kittle tight end, your Kelsey tight end. Not that those guys are commonplace. I mean, there's a reason those guys are so effective because they're kind of unicorns in the NFL. But I think the Colts are going to have to orchestrate ways to involve at the tight end in the passing game for those – those guys that aren't necessarily at the line separators but are big targets for certain uh who are players that probably when there was a coaching change thought to themselves man here i was in pretty good favor and things were going well for me based on the schemes we'd been playing but i might have actually been benefiting from the scheme more than my actual level of transcendent talent and therefore i'm gonna have to completely try to prove myself all over again yeah, I mean, it's kind of a cop-out, Jake, but no one really jumps off the page because it's not like the Colts have made many moves on offense. I mean, yeah. I guess Paris Campbell and Yannick Ngakwe are gone, but, I mean, as of right now, and this is, I would say, a tad scary, we're a month into free agency, and Jake, if you went out there and had a starting offense tomorrow, only two guys would be different. And again, you could make the argument that Paris Campbell to Isaiah McKenzie is potentially a downgrade. Obviously, quarterback would be the one area where you like to think you're going to upgrade, certainly in the long term, 
probably in the short term as well. But, I mean, you're running back the same offensive line. You pretty much have the same tight end room. Wide receiver-wise, there's not a whole lot of change with that. Again, to me, Isaiah McKenzie's more gadgety. Paris Campbell's a little bit more consistent, at least was when he was healthy this past season. Obviously, running backs aren't going to change. So, yeah, I mean, just sheer depth chart. You know, corner, to me, is the biggest need. It's the biggest need outside of quarterback entering the draft. I think you need to draft two corners, and we'll talk with Dane Brugler here in less than a half hour about it. Uh, it sounds like it's a very deep cornerback draft class here in 2023. That's good news. I mean, it's that's it's widely thought to be the best position, right? But that is the crystal clear short-term, long-term need. That stands above the rest for me. What else, Jake, would you have on the non-quarterback need list? Uh-huh. High on the list. I mean, any defensive back, as we mentioned, Honestly, I think a this is going to be an unpopular opinion. I think if there is an athletic, I, I think at tight end you're good in terms of like blocking tight ends and and even short yardage, you know, Dwayne Allen third and three type tight ends, but yard after catch stretch tight ends. I don't know how many of those guys are out there, Kevin, but if there's one available, I, I think especially in an offense that Steichen would like to, to get going, that is one that you got to take a look at. If there's a super athletic, and, and I, again, I realize those guys are not a dime a dozen, but I think that if you look at the teams in the NFL that are really opening up offense, a lot of times it starts with having a legit yard-after-catch weapon at the tight end position. See, that's interesting. I would probably go more you need a blocking tight end than really? you need the other. I thought the blocking... I mean, granted, Jack Doyle was... Doyle sorely last yeah, I season. I don't disagree there, but I think that's because, Kevin, you didn't have the blocking tight end in Moali Cox or Jelani Woods partially because you you were trying so hard to get those guys as your talent-based tight ends, your, your, your involvement in passing game stretch tight ends. If you can get a guy that is legitimately those two guys, then you take advantage of their size by making them an off-the-line receiver and a blocking tight end. Don't get me wrong. A dynamic tight end would be great. Um, and again, I realize that's, you know, they're, they're not a dime a dozen, I get it. And I think you can make the argument when we just talk corner and we talk tight end, I think there are a lot of people out there that believe those are the two deepest positions in this draft. How I look at, you know, because part of me says... Every move this offseason, let's go Pacers for, for, for a second. How I look at the Pacers offseason, my first thought with every single move the Pacers are about to make is, does this get us better on the defensive end of the floor? Like, that's where I'm at with the Pacers, which I know is a little bit different than how the NFL or how we typically think about today's NBA, but I think the Pacers have enough offense. To me, it's you need to get better on the defensive end. And now flip it over to the Colts. When I think about the Colts and if they did make any moves in the past month, but certainly what they're going to do here in a couple weeks, my first thought is, how do you support the rookie quarterback? Like That's where I think every single move, I think you have to have more priority there. I know I just said, from a depth chart standpoint, it screams corner, corner, corner and what you need to go out and try and find. But then I also think back to, just the fragile nature to year one, year two, year three for these young QBs, if you don't support them, 
you maybe never give them a chance to have success. You know, I brought it up earlier in the week. I mean, look at what you gave Andrew Luck in that 2012 draft. First off, you re-signed Reggie Wayne. That was a huge deal. You went out and you got Donnie Avery, and I know the the bar is pretty low, but Donnie Avery was actually the one free agent wideout in the past decade that's actually done something right. for the Colts. That and was actually when they signed him. That, that was a decent needle mover. Yeah, and it and it worked. Um, and then after that, boom, Kobe Fleener, Dwayne Allen, T.Y. Hilton, and all of those guys you know, had various degrees of success, particularly early on with luck. So um, I would throw corner on the list. I would still throw offensive line. Like I, I, I think you need an interior offensive lineman, even if you believe in Ryan Kelly. I mean, is Will Fries your definite right guard? You know, the easiest way to answer it, Kevin, there is not a position, aside from maybe running back, there is not a position where you can't talk me into an insurance policy, at the very least, right? There, there, literally, is there a position that if they, if the Colts, I mean, let's take the obvious, you know, kicker, punter, but like, is there a position that in round three, if they drafted, that you couldn't be talked into, like, hey, this offers us some insurance policy at, at, at this area where you would say, but you don't need it. Yeah, kind of how I view it is this, Jake. Quarterback, crystal clear, number one. That next tier, I'd put corner, O-line, and wideout. Which is going to be true for 90% of the rosters, right? Yeah, especially this one. And then I think No, I'm saying a, league-wide. I mean, I think anybody league-wide, for the most part, that's going to be the blueprint, right? Yeah, and, and then I think there is a drop to that next tier. I, I agree with you. You need insurance policy at linebacker. You could definitely use more of a pass-catching running back. I think on paper, you know, safety is okay. Again, linebacker, I don't think you need like a second or third round pick there. I think Chris Bauer has proven in his draft history he can draft linebackers pretty successfully. I'll never say no to an edge rusher, but that is a group that if you look at it again on paper, you you, you probably have a six or seven that you feel pretty good about. It's not a, a very aging group either, so... Um, I would put after quarterback again. I, I put corner in, in some order. Corner, wide out, offensive line. By the way, uh, because it's like a perfect day again outside today. Do you have big plans this afternoon? Well, I'm dri- driving down to Bloomington, yep. and then I think it's a mow day for me. Mow? Mm-hmm. Oh, you're going to mow the lawn? Yeah. Is it the first mow of the season? Uh, I did one. La- was it last week? Maybe about ten days ago. I hated mowing the lawn when I was a kid. I would oh, do it for I love like, it. and now I think it'd be fun. Yeah. Well, yeah, it also gets me away from the kids for like forty five minutes. <laughs> Um, Rosie does like to watch, which I'm like, can you think of anything more boring than me just going in horizontal and vertical lines? But hey, I just give her some cheeses and she watches. I'm looking forward to the Boma. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Boma luncheon today uh, at Googman House Brewing. Oh, I will be giving them back here. uh, I'm speaking to them today for their lunch. I feel bad because I've seen the list of their former speakers and I realize, and they've had some heavy hitters. It's a great organization, some very prominent people. And then, um, and then I come out there and Hmm. I feel bad because of the expectation they probably have of a fabulous lunch. Is the budget down for them this year? Is that why they had to bring you in? Very clearly, very clearly. (laughs) I mean, to be honest with you, Mark, any plans? I need to mow the lawn as well. I don't know if I'm going to get to it today or wait till tomorrow, but probably just hang out or maybe take the girls to a park or something. We also could use some mulch. Yeah, I need to do that too. Need some need some potting soil, all kinds of stuff. Building the garden. I got things to do. 
Go yeah. talk to Pat Sullivan. This I week has to. been kind of all about that. Yeah, I got a bunch of leaves up, some weeds up earlier this week. So that's where we're at at the Bowen household. Dane Brugler, NFL draft analyst from The Athletic. He joins us in 20. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. All right, 8 o'clock hour. Uh, Dane Brugler going to join us here about 10 minutes, so we'll kind of rearrange this normal segment, throw a morning check down in here before we get to Dane. And then Bob Costa's coming up at 9 o'clock. I might be reading into this a little bit too much here, Jake. And maybe this is me speaking as a Notre Dame fan, but did you see Cliff Kingsbury to USC? I did see that. Like a senior analyst or some... You know, kind of weird title there. Uh, so I guess that one-way ticket to Thailand that he got at the end of the season has now gotten a return Must have uh, ticket. Got everything he wanted out of there mm-hmm. and decided yeah. to come back. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Which, what? if you've seen Cliff off the field, I think he does. Mm-hmm. You know, get everything he wants. I'm away from football as well. Um, so Cliff Kingsbury to USC to be an assistant with Lincoln Riley. Of course, Caleb Williams is the quarterback. Do you think there's any thought in the back of Cliff Kingsbury's mind that Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley might be a package deal to the NFL next year? And that, boom, he takes over at well, USC? that would be, of course, completely dependent upon who gets the number one pick, right? So, in other words, does he have that in his mind? He would be assuming... Kevin, that whoever has the number one pick is firing their coach, right? Which, again, right now, the number one pick this past year, Matt Eberflus retained, but two, three, and four all fired their head coaches. Of the teams that... You're right. I mean, typically, if you're drafting up up front, you're starting all over, right? I mean, when Andrew Luck was selected, there was a new head coach. New GM, too. New GM. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not like a slam dunk, but I would say more often than not, teams drafting the top five are probably doing it with a first-year head well, coach. But allow me to ask this then. Why wouldn't Lincoln Riley be having the same thought? Of what? Package deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams are the oh, package deal I'm to sorry. the NFL. I'm and sorry. then I Caleb thought... or Cliff Kingsbury takes over at USC. I'm sorry. I thought you were saying Kingsbury is saying that. No, no, himself no. Because he was an NFL coach. I think Lincoln Riley is a popular NFL name we've heard yeah, in the past years. Uh, my apologies. I thought you meant did Cliff Kingsbury go there thinking like, hey, uh, I'm going to work here and then I can parlay that back into the NFL with Caleb Williams. Sorry. No, all good. Um, Yeah, I, I think it's a, a fair question. I That seems to be I, – I think if you are drafting a quarterback number one overall – then clearly you are redirecting your franchise in general. But I would think 
that 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 just feels like taking on the quarterback and the coach that that he comes with is I don't know how to word it like biting off more uh, a bigger slice of the pie than you want is a weird way of saying it because you're probably replacing coach as well so but the buy one get one though I would just be hesitant about I, I don't know why because what, what if it doesn't work out with one of them you know what I mean devil's advocate say you're supporting your rookie quarterback more than most and having a guy that he's pretty familiar with yeah I mean how much of the how much of the NFL game you know like if it was Kingsbury for example that's a guy that's coached in the NFL right you know how much can you immediately translate that knowledge coach to player and that learning curve for the NFL game one of the two should have that and obviously it's not going to be the quarterback should have that experience don't you think yeah, I mean, I can definitely hear people that say, yeah, it is too inexperienced. Obviously, college coaches, the NFL, um, there's certainly more negatives or guys that have not panned out than guys that have. I mean, Kingsbury would be one of them. Uh, but I don't know, Cliff Kingsbury, to me, just screams future USC head coach. I mean, that's he certainly looks the part, right? See, um, Notre Dame women and South Carolina women will play in Paris next year to open up the women's basketball season? Didn't Notre Dame... I was thinking the football team had some sort of trip there, but but I'm wrong. The football team will play in Dublin next year. Dublin's what I'm thinking of. And they did it, I want to say, it's probably been about a decade ago at this point. Probably about eight or ten years ago they played there, but... Yeah, Don Staley and Neil Ivey taking their teams over there to play in Paris. To I absolutely um, wish that they still had it's unfortunate it was a a victim of covid and i don't know that it returns but the one-way direct flight non-stop from indianapolis to paris was the most unbelievable thing ever i forgot about that and was it once a week i think it was twice i think it might have been on tuesdays and thursdays maybe it was once but we took it and i i still maintain kevin one of the most the two most surreal th- Indianapolis events of my life as a native of Indianapolis. And I mean, I'm a kid that went down and watched, sat for literally five hours right out here on Capitol to watch the RCA Dome, then the Hoosier Dome, get inflated. We sat for like three and a half hours before you could even see the Teflon. And then all of a sudden, like you could see it and people erupted in cheer. And then it took another three hours for it to inflate all the way. And we thought it was the greatest thing ever. Um, it was like watching the world's largest bouncy house show up at the showbiz parking lot. But Sounds like an activity maybe a week from today some people would enjoy on 420. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, was, I was 10. Is it just me or is that a giant balloon blowing up behind it? Nowadays, you never know, especially some other states. I mean, Jack's Donuts is right there. It's perfect, right? Buca de Beppo, you imagine but, that? Boy. But I remember walking around downtown Indianapolis during the Super Bowl when it was here in 2012 and just being like, I can't believe this is my hometown. I can't believe this is happening in Indianapolis. It was, I mean, in a good way, right? And the other one was when we returned from Paris, being in the Paris airport and walking up to the board of departing flights, and it's like Amsterdam, Brussels, 
Frankfurt, Indianapolis. And you're like, what? There's no, 90% of these people in here are looking at that board like, where is this place? And then you walked through at the gates looking for, you know, now which gate is ours? It's like, oh, it's pretty obvious. It's the one that's littered with people in crusted Lee jeans and Peyton Manning jerseys <laughs> that have really gotten dressed up for their international culture, cultural experience. It's the old I-step test. Which city doesn't fit on this list here? <laughs> that is correct. Uh, we're going to get to Dane Brugler here in about five minutes. We'll keep him on for the rest of the segment. So that means we'll shift some things around. Let's do a morning check down before we get to Dane. The morning check down. On 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. So far in the NBA playoffs, we've had quite a few upsets. Uh, the play-in format has led to three road teams winning. Last night, both the 10 seeds kept their seasons alive, and they'll try to get into that NBA bracket coming up on Friday. Uh, the first one was north of the border. It was the Chicago Bulls behind 39 from Zach Levine. They come back from 19 down in the third quarter. They beat the Raptors 109-105. So now Chicago will take on Miami. On Friday, the winner of that will face the number one seed Bucks in the first round of the playoffs. Out west, you had the Thunder win one twenty three one eighteen over the Pelicans. So now Oklahoma City will take on Minnesota this Friday. The winner of that will take on the Nuggets in the Western Conference. Uh, Major League Baseball yesterday: Cardinals over the Rockies seven four. It was the Braves over the Reds. Well, where are you going to go? <laughs> Five, the Reds bullpen. Go ahead, go ahead, Mark. Just play the whole thing. Go ahead. I are know you, you want to abandon being a Reds fan. Are you abandon following this team? <laughs> I, I said this to JMV every time it gets me yesterday, and that clip is just incredibly hilarious and so sad. If you're a Reds fan, I said this to him yesterday. They're in Atlanta right now, Jake. I think they just got swept by the Braves. Actually, you know the freeze in Atlanta. A guy that comes out and runs against a fan. And always, you know, kind of, you know, yeah, slowly yeah, yeah. reigns yeah, him in. He's wearing like a full body suit yeah, type uh-huh. of yeah, yeah. That's like a Reds game. So the Reds fan is like the Reds starting for the first seven innings. They've You're got right. a lead. They're playing ahead. This is great. And then when the bullpen gets in the game, that's when they let the freeze out of the gate. Yeah. And slowly but surely, the opposing team just, real, 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 boom, we'll break your heart right at the finish line. And that's been the Reds all year long. And by all year long, we aren't even at Earth Day and the Reds are already out of it. They are pretty much out of it, yes. Uh, but White Sox. Shohei next year, so don't worry about it. Excuse me? They're going to get Shohei Otani. Better chance Shohei plays for Beloit than he plays for the Reds. <laughs> oh, that's the Sky Carps. <laughs> this is Otani doing with the Sky Carps. <laughs> Twins over the White Sox 3 1 yesterday. It was Yanks over the Guardians 4 3. Um, and in our battle for the PBR, Red Sox short in against the Tampa Bay Rays. I'll go. I guess nobody had the Red Sox, right? No. Sorry. But that's. Let's get to that because Tampa now 12 and 0. And then you look at the teams that we each had. It was Kevin's Athletics over my cute fellow Orioles 8-4. And Mark, your Diamondbacks continue to play well. They beat mm-hmm. Milwaukee 7-3. Indianapolis Indians 5-1 losers to the same The Rays will go for 13-0 today at 1 o'clock or 1-10. That is against the Red Sox. Corey Kluber for Boston, Jeffrey Springs for Tampa. If they indeed get to 13-0, that will tie the modern record for the best start in major league. Now what's the non modern record? Team in the eighteen hundreds, I forget the name, <laughs> they started like twenty and zero, but back then that was when like walks were like six balls the, or something. It was the Eastern Skycarps started out sixteen and zero, right? The St. Louis Maroons in eighteen eighty four. Okay. Twenty and zero. A maroon, huh? 
<laughs> Pitchers just started throwing overhand back then. You know, in in St. Louis, um, gosh, I just I can't believe Sportsman's Park. In, was Sportsman Park St. Louis? Scotty will know. But the 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 stadium where the the St. Louis Browns played, I lived in St. Louis, worked in St. Louis for three years, and was all, and and then all of a sudden one day was just like, I wonder where that is. Yeah, Sportsman's Park was in Missouri. Yeah, and. Finally, one day I found the location of it, and it's interesting. It's just like a regular. It's it, it'd be like the equivalent today of I, I don't know. I mean, fifty sixth and Zionsville Road or something. And then there's just a sign on this site was where you know Joe Metwick and you know all these great players played, and the World Series was held, and da 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 for the St. Louis Browns. And it's just the world kept going on and the St. Louis Cardinals, the world's smartest baseball fans, stayed in town and just stayed with the other team. Not a very Cardinals-like start to the year, but typically they turn it on August and September. Uh, Dane Brugler, NFL draft analyst from The Athletic, going to join us here in a few. Um, Dane comes out with an annual document, is putting it lightly, um, just massive production Manifesto. called The yeah, Manifesto. Thank you, Mark. That's probably an accurate way to put it. Called The Beast. He has over 400 prospects in there. Jake, he's ranked the top 10 long snappers in this draft. Uh, Colts in the mix for that? <laughs> I, I, I think Luke Rhodes is pretty good here. Isn't that usually the UDFA, undrafted free agent position? I, I would say that does qualify. He's got a UND kid in there. He's you got know, an Indiana State kid in there. He's got a Butler kid in there. You know my question that I'm going to ask right off the top because I've asked every draft expert this. And I know that it's I, – I realize it's a redundant question, but to me it's one that, that I find fascinating. Dane Brugler joins us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Dane, appreciate your time. I'm going to get to you right now the question that I've asked several people that aren't necessarily the, the draft expert you are, but, but talking about rosters. So I'll ask you this. In your opinion, is this 2023 NFL draft a draft that has four quarterbacks that are – up towards the front of it because there are four legitimate franchise quarterbacks or does it have quarterbacks up towards the front of it because strictly there are four franchises up front that all need quarterbacks uh, more the latter um you know this is a it's a better quarterback group than we saw last year uh where you know we had one quarterback going the first 73 picks uh historically bad quarterback class and this year is better. There's no question. But, uh, you know, we could see – it's at least feasible. We could see four going to top seven. How many times that has happened in, in history of uh, NFL draft? Never. It not happened once. So uh, – and that, and I think that speaks more towards uh, teams needing a quarterback more so than four quarterbacks truly deserving of, of going that high. And, uh, to me, Bryce Young is the best quarterback in this class uh, from Alabama. I think he is the number one player in the draft overall, and you know he's a complete outlier. Uh, the moment he's drafted, he'll be the smallest player in the NFL uh, at his position. So you know it, it's something that is going to take a little bit of faith, but he does the most quarterback things. And then the other three guys, you can pull Coles in all three of them. And so it's just beauty's in the eye of the beholder. And so uh, I think all all four of these guys show enough that you can say, okay, these, these guys are future NFL starters. Um, and then it gets into the debate about, okay, if he's an NFL starter, well, then what's the value of that? If I, if I feel like a, a quarterback is going to be good enough in the NFL to start me games and help me win games, is that worth a top 15 pick? 
compared to a uh, you know a, a guard or you know a defensive tackle or whoever, whatever value another position gives. So uh, it, it's it's a loaded kind of question because you get into some of these value questions. But no, I, I think it's more of the latter, where uh, you know I don't I don't think we have four tr- truly franchise quote unquote franchise uh, type prospects at the position. Dane. In my opinion, so we're going to strict uh, say strictly, let's just say for the sake of the question here that it comes down to it in the Colts, the two quarterbacks that are there are Richardson and Levis and that they are debating between those two. In your opinion, and see if this makes sense the way I ask this, which is a greater gap? The level of how ready they are to play right now between those two guys, theoretically Levis being more plug-and-play ready than Richardson at this point, or the level of what you see the gap being in terms of ceiling once they are fully embraced and and you know comfortable within the NFL? Yeah, and, and I think it's a good question because that's, that's something that I think some teams are asking themselves that question. Um, and, you know, with Richardson, it just is so – He's so unique because we've never really seen a a talent like this. You know, we've had six four, two hundred forty five quarterbacks before, but none that run a four four three in the forty yard dash, or none that have his type of arm strength. Um, but when you're talking about a player that has fewer than four hundred career pass attempts, um, a, a player that has only thirteen career starts and he's below 500 in, in those uh, 13 career starts. There's just a lot of football he, he, has, he has not yet experienced. And he didn't come from a big-time high school. Okay, so, you know, there's still a lot of football that he has to learn. But at the same time, Anthony Richardson's a guy you want on the field because to, it, the biggest knock on him is just consistency with his accuracy, with his processing, um, just, you know, learning defenses, understanding what defenses are trying to do. It's all about things that you're not necessarily going to get from a playbook. It's just sitting and watching and learning. You want this guy getting reps. So how long before we feel, okay, Anthony Richards is going to get the playbook enough, gonna, we can trust him enough to put him out there, and he can operate some form of the offense that 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 question is going to be the answer to that question is going to be different from team to team based off of how willing they are to adjust the playbook to fit the quarterback uh to uh you know just all those different things and so it, it's really a, a team by team type of type of case because you know these quarterbacks are so different with what they're going to give you now will levis I think that he is definitely more pro-ready with what he can do from day one. But I I think there's no question that overall Richardson – just there, there's more uh, more home run potential there. More of okay, if this guy hits, he can really be truly special. And at the end of the day, maybe that's what we should be betting on is the best case of both these guys. And Dane Brigler, the author of The Beast, uh, comes with your subscription to The Athletic. It's a must-have for anybody that wants just an ounce, or many ounces, I should say, information on the NFL draft, over 400 prospects that Dane goes in-depth on. Uh, Bryce Young at one, C.J. Stroud, the fourth overall prospect, Will um, Anthony Richardson, Will Levis, right, back-to-back, 13 and 14. Um, Dane, you've got Hendon Hooker not in the first round. Um, he's your only quarterback you have with a second or a third round grade. You have him in the second round. Um, is it just so much system related or is this more age and injury for the question on Hendon Hooker? 
Well, I think anytime you talk about quarterbacks, you have to talk about timeline, right? You know, we just talked about Richardson and, you know, when is he going to be able to get on the field? And with, with Hooker, it's the same type of deal. You talk about timeline, um, you know, coming off that injury. So, okay, he's going to not going to be ready for training camp, not going to be ready for the start of the season, you know, whether that's PUP or, you know, whatever designation that ends up being. Um, okay, so I guess your your best case is pr- hopefully – he's going to be ready to be your backup over the second half of the season. Maybe he's able to get a, a start in maybe late in the year. Um, and then your hope is in year two that he enters the year, um, you know, ready to compete for the starting job. Uh, but again, this is a guy coming from an offense where it's half field reads tied to low. It's, it's a lot of things that, uh, you know, are not really conducive to what a lot of NFL teams do and what they they ask of their quarterbacks. And so I think he's a smart guy. I think that he can, you know, make that transition, but it's not as seamless as I think um, a lot of people believe it might be. So now there's a lot of things to like about Hendon Hooker, but I think when you factor in uh, the injury, I think when you factor in the offense that he's coming from, it would just that would worry me quite a bit drafting a player like that uh, in in the first round. But uh, you know what? I, I think for some teams, you look at Minnesota. Uh, you know, obviously they don't need a quarterback this year. Um, some other teams picking in the uh, you know late one, maybe some in that early two range. Uh, you know, that, I, I think it can make more sense. But for a team that needs a quarterback to come in and make a difference for them in year one. Uh, Hennon Hooker just doesn't make a ton of sense. Yeah, Dane Brigler with us from the Athletic NFL Draft Analyst. Dane, we had your colleague Deontay Lee on with us a little bit earlier in the week, and I asked him this. I'll throw it at you. Um, we're way down the road, and the you know Hall of Fame induction class in whatever twenty years is inducting a, an offensive member from the twenty twenty three draft class and a defensive member from the twenty twenty three draft class. Uh, who would be the Hall of Famers on offense out of this class and on defense out of this class if you had to bet on one? Uh, well, I mean, I'll stick to my board, and that's, you know, Bryce Young. And obviously, where these guys end up matters so, so much. Um, you know, that that's a big piece uh, to the equation. But, you know, Bryce Young, I think, even though he is a complete size outlier, he does some special things at the quarterback position that just make you go, okay, I'm, I'm a believer. You know, I, I, I yeah, he's the smallest quarterback that you know we're going to see back there uh, in the modern era, but uh, as long as he stays healthy, um, it, you know he is his instincts, um, his ability to feel everything around him, the vision to understand what the defense is doing, but also where uh, these windows are coming open, um, his accuracy, the, the processing. It, it's all it's all special, and I, and I don't say that you know lightly. Um, I, I think that he absolutely. Um, has a chance to be that type of quarterback where we're, we're talking about him in that light. Um, you know, it, I think it, when it's all said and done, he's going to go to Carolina, which you know I think they have uh, a decent offensive line, decent um, offensive coaching staff around him. Not many weapons, you know, so we'll, we'll see how they build up around him um, if that comes to fruition. But Bryce Young has that type of ability um, on defense. Uh, you know, I, Jalen Carter is the best defensive just talent in this draft. And if he's able to stay 
uh, you know, keep things on the straight and narrow. And, you know, maturity is something that is never guaranteed, but it's something that over the years, you know, he, he's able to, you know, really come into his own. Um, Jalen Carter has the talent to, to be the best defensive player from this draft. There, there's no question. I mean, he is, his block destruction is awesome. Uh, it's power, it's agility, um, it, it's the ability, and it's not just physical traits. It's it's skill. He has a very keen understanding of how to use his hands, his body control. So, um, I mean, those two guys have the most talent from this class. Now, if, hopefully they go to a situation where they're able to realize that and achieve it. Um, you know, so I, I think I would bet on those two guys just because, again, they're the most talented. But at the same time, I also think, you know, you have to mention guys like Peter Skaronsky from Northwestern because he is, I, you know exactly what you're getting. I mean, he comes to you wrapped in clear wrapping paper. Uh, you, you know exactly what he is from day one, plug and play. He could be on that Zach Martin type of trajectory where uh, plug him in at guard and he's going to make a lot of Pro Bowls. And, you know, maybe we are talking about a, a Hall of Fame career down the road. Dane Burgler is our guest. The Athletic is where you can read his work. The Payless Liquors Hotline is where you are hearing him currently. Dane, I'm going to take quarterback out of the equation because that's probably the obvious answer here. So outside of quarterback, in your time doing this in analyzing the draft, give me the position that is often the most unpredictable to determine translation from college game to pro. Probably safety. Um, you know, safeties, they're just asked to do so many different things in college. Uh, and, and, you know, so you watch a guy on tape and, you know, you, you, you decipher, okay, they're in this, this type of shell, they're, they're this coverage, and, okay, okay this is, his responsibility is ABC. Um, and you just have to understand what they're being asked to do. Uh, but, you know, a lot of times safeties, are, they play very conservative um, in, in college uh, defenses. And then you try to translate that. Okay, can he can he play man? Can he drop it in nickel? Can he do these things? You, a lot of it's projection uh, towards the NFL, but, and so I think safety can be a little bit difficult at times to uh, just fully understand what what a safety is capable of, because you have to have equal parts toughness, um, football IQ, athleticism. You want to be able to put guy to have range, play both sidelines. Um, but you know, you have to be a little bit of all of that. Uh, you, have, you need the ball skills. So I, I think a lot of times, you know, safeties don't get a chance to prove themselves that they have all of those things. And, and honestly, it's just, it's hard to find really good safeties. Uh, you know, there's a reason we don't see many safeties drafted in, in the first round this year. You know, I, I think Brian Branch from Alabama, who's really more of a true nickel, but I, I think he uh, deserves to go in the first round. He has first round talent, but uh, after that, when's the next time we see a safety drafted? It might not be in in the next seventy five picks. So um, I think safeties are you know really good safeties are hard to find in the draft. Um, you know that, that 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 comes true every year, especially this year. Dane, obviously Purdue had a pretty nice season. Aiden O'Connell, Payne Durham, you know, Charlie Jones, Corey Trice. I think all those guys will hear their name called. Uh, of those four, would it be Corey Trice that hears his name called first? Good chance, yeah. I, I think you know the big question with uh, him just was the injury, and you know he started off a little bit slow this year, uh, and then gradually got better and better. And uh, you know he the way he worked out, uh, and this is a guy that uh, for six three and a half, two hundred and six pounds, 
um, to go out and run like he did. He was in the four fours. Um, but not that, not just that, but the short area agility stuff, the three cone, six, seven, oh, it's an unbelievable time for a guy that size. 406 in a short shuttle, awesome time. The jumps were amazing, 11 foot in the broad. So the, he has the, the special athleticism that you really like. And for a guy that size, who's that long, that type of wingspan, um, I mean, you're, you're going to bet on, on those types of traits. Uh, it, it's a stopwatch position. It, it, it's a tape measure uh, position. And so I, I do think that Trice has a good chance to be uh, the first Purdue player drafted. Uh, but there's a lot of love for O'Connell as well. I mean, teams are always looking for, even if you think Aiden O'Connell is a backup and nothing more, uh, if you're going to list the most important positions on an NFL roster, QB two will come before uh, a strong safety for most teams. You know, it'll, it'll come before um, it, you know your 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 right guard. Uh, so a lot of teams are looking for a competent backup that's going to bring value to your quarterback room and just overall trust with that player. So if your starter goes down, you feel okay. We can still we're still in this. Because we, you know, our backup, we feel good about our backup coming in. So uh, O'Connell has some value, and so third round, fourth round, I think there's a lot of teams with their eyes on Aiden O'Connell as, as a possibility. Thirty seconds left, Dane. So one word answer here for you: the Colts stay at four hypothetically between Will Levis and Anthony Richardson, the quarterback that is most likely to have his name still available when the Colts are on the clock. I think it's Richardson. I do. I think, and I think that it's the Colts. I uh, think right now, if I had a guess, that's who the Colts would take. You know, knowing you know Chris and what you know what he likes at the position. Um, you know, what, what fits that offense. I, I think Richardson makes a lot of sense uh, in some ways, and not not some in others. But I, I think that maybe that that could be the marriage that ends up uh, happening at four. The most obscure college in the Beast was which college? Uh, New Mexico Highlands, maybe. Um, <laughs> there, there's a, quite a few where I was like, huh, I wonder what their mascot is. You know, I just try to – a few that I've never heard of. But, uh, you know, it, it, that, that's the fun of it every year is discovering some of these uh, lower-level D3. Because I'm a D3 guy, so figuring out some of these D3 schools, D2 schools is fun. The man ranked the top 10 long snappers here in the 2023 draft. He's the one and only Dane Brugler from The Athletic. Dane, great work, man, and as always, thank you. No, thank you. Take care, guys. It's Dane Brugler right there from The the Athletic. The Cowboys and Cowgirls, New Mexico Highlands. If it was Highlanders, I just would assume they're in like the Mick of New Mexico. That's right. The New Mexico Highlands, Cowboys, and Cowgirls. So he had a quarterback from Shepherd College that he believes will be drafted. Shepherd College? Mm-hmm. Now, what's their mascot? Uh, I am unfamiliar. Let's see. Mark, you got a guess on the Shepherd College mascot? Located in a dog or like an old man with a stick? Shepherdstown, <laughs> West Virginia. Okay, here we go. Shepherd College of Shepherdstown, West Virginia. I'm on their site now. Thank you. Uh, pulling up their, and again, my... Oh, my gosh. This is awesome. Do you have it? Yeah. It's uh, the Ram. Look at this picture. The ram with the shepherd visor on it. <laughs> like picture uh picture like the navy mascot. That's pretty glorious. That's what Shepard's going with here. Yeah, that's cool. I think he's got Aiden O'Connell as the first quarterback after Hendon Hooker. So he's got 
Really? You know, he's got the first four that we mentioned. I mean, that seems like a pretty big drop, though, doesn't it? Yeah, and it is, to be fair to him. But yeah, he had Bryce Young one overall, C.J. Stroud four overall, Richardson and Levis back-to-back 13 and 14 overall prospect-wise. Again, didn't have Hendon Hooker until number 49 as a second rounder, and then he's got Aiden O'Connell as a fourth round pick. Uh, All right, Bob Costas coming up at 9 o'clock. Kevin and Quarry here on a glorious Thursday. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I honestly, Kevin, do you think in the NFL draft, you've done fantasy football, right? Yeah, done, like yeah. fantasy football oh, we draft. Had, we had a league this year. We drafted during the show. Well, I mean, How like that's right. But I mean, I'm I'm talking about like the in the infancy of fantasy football, where everybody has like their magazines and they're sitting down, and you spend all day Sunday at somebody's house. Yeah, we, we went to uh, B Dubs in Glendale a couple times. A couple guys that are taking it way too serious. The but one guy who drafts T O. Yeah. I need a wide receiver, Trello, and that you guy, were seven years ago. We had a guy that drafted uh, Jay Novacek, like. Two weeks after he'd retired. Gosh, you were in the infancy of fantasy football Way back, yeah. But when you got to like round nine, you know, you're you're just taking guys. You're like, oh my gosh. I mean, I don't know anything about this running back from Atlanta, but whatever, you know. Deep down, don't you feel like in like round eight, there have to be some players that like franchises are like – I mean, we know that we need, like, we might as well round out our right tackle room. And there's this guy scores high out of Colorado State, but how much have they actually seen him? I mean, I I get it. I get that it is big time, big time, big time business research all year long, everything else. But with the number of players that are coming through, isn't it fair to think that there are times where a team is drafting a player that they didn't even do like a full in-person meeting and evaluation on? I always find the EJ Speed story really interesting. So EJ Speed went to Tarleton State, okay? Um, The Colts didn't even send a scout to the Tarleton State Pro Day. You know, typically you have these area scouts. So, you know, let's say whatever you have, I don't know, 40-some schools in your in your territory, um, you know, typically you're going to go to the vast majority of those pro days. But when they got the numbers in from the Tarleton State Pro Day, EJ Speed, again, from a testing standpoint, from a size standpoint, he was in, let's just say, like the 90th percentile for the linebacker position. All of a sudden, a month before the draft, they're doing some research into him. They start looking at his film. They start looking at his background. I think they brought him in for a visit, if I'm not mistaken. Each team gets 30 of those visits, and boom, next thing you know, they draft EJ Speed in the fifth round. They had never heard of the guy a month before the draft, and then they draft him in the fifth round, and look at EJ Speed. He's had a nice NFL career. Zaire Franklin actually was like 
going nuts yesterday about how happy he was that EJ Speed is back on the roster. Thinks he brings a lot more than I think a lot of people would just um, look at. So um, I do think when you get out of the in the ends of day three, you know, round seven is the conclusion of the draft. A lot of it is about who is like the freakiest testing athlete, and can we turn that guy into something? Like it's a lot of it's no longer necessarily college production. It's more of can we find Mike Strawn? Can you find Denzel Good from Mars Hill? Can you find just right. random school? Is Denzel Good still in the league? By the way, player under the radar. He was with the Raiders. He's had a nice career for a guy that was. Mark, will you will you look that up? Denzel Good. I I do think he had like multiple years with the Raiders. Yeah. Raiders and might still even be on the roster. And he was a good story. I mean, you know, small school like that. Nice guy. Nice dude. Yeah. Yeah. Big guy. Like by the way, yesterday when we were talking about pro days. Where, or, or I'm sorry, what do we call it? The the local pro day? Uh-huh. And you, you were commenting, I think Joel A. Erickson might have been on with us, and we were talking about what franchise is the most kind of limited with that. And you mentioned the Raiders. Yeah. And somebody pointed out to me, they're like, don't forget that Bishop Gorman High School in Las Vegas is like... Ooh, that's a good point. I mean, that's like the St. X That's of the new the pipeline, West. right? Yeah, Denzel totally. Good has retired. He has? Mm-hmm. When was his last... Uh, he filed for retirement July twenty fifth, twenty twenty two. So about ahead of the season. So he, I mean, how many years though? So that's seven years for him. It's a nice career, that's right? Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of nice careers, Ted Kerr is going to join us to round out the show here in about an hour. Ted is um, Cathedral product, played at Illinois, a sixth round pick, and he's played over a hundred games in the NFL. He's a captain right now for the Bengals. You know that sort of thought process, Jake, of like, and again, this is where Chris Bauer has definitely differed. Interior linemen, you can find quality guys in day three. Whereas Ballard has said, no, 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 we're going to draft those earlier. And, you know, even Grigson did that with the draft pick of Ryan Kelly. You know, obviously Quentin Nelson was round one. You know, the thought with Braden Smith by Ballard was he was a guard more than a tackle. Um, but I, I think if you're looking at positions just off of priority, I don't know if I'm drafting linebacker, running back, or interior offensive line before the final day of the draft. Now the draft is is it four running back? How many days this year? Three, three days. Three? So yeah, two weeks from tonight, round one, round two and three on Friday, and four, five, six, seven on Saturday. How many incredibly like uncomfortable embrace and hugs will will there be? I feel like Goodell's gotten into a nice rhythm. Do you remember the one kind of weird year? I, it, it probably was the COVID year. Was it the COVID year? Was when he, he was a, eating M and M's in his chair? basement? Yeah, I yeah. thought Goodell was terrific. I thought he was like actual human being for once. Really? Yeah, yeah. I thought he like looked casual, looked kind of fun, and just he legitimately wasn't a robot for once. Then the year after, he brought the chair out onto the stage. <laughs> that was it. Yeah, yeah. And now, it. are they still doing the thing with animals? That's like day three, I think, if they do that at all. Oh, yeah, that gets really wild. Remember well, the guy... McAfee. You know, you had McAfee announce Bobby Okariki. Didn't Reggie Wayne call out the Nashville crowd one mm-hmm. year? Yeah. The greatest, uh, amongst like the dignitaries that call them out... Have the Colts beaten the Titans since? <laughs> the greatest was the guy from Minnesota. It was a former Viking player. Oh, is he I, the one that talked for 20 minutes? They yeah. like gave him the hook, right? They came out and told him, like, look... Somebody came out and whispered to him, like, come on, man. Right. I mean, he literally, it was like he thought he was being inducted in the Hall of Fame. I mean, one thing a great day for me and nobody else. (laughs) One thing I do like about the NBA draft, and I know Kevin Pritchard 
thinks otherwise. Kevin Pritchard thinks the second round should be a day in itself. I do love how the NBA draft is just one night. No doubt. You know, the NBA draft for years. And I love the international guys up in the stands that come out of the crowd. Oh, yeah. For years, the NFL draft was the Thursday night of the IndyCar race at Road America, and which is, for those who don't know, like an hour north of Milwaukee. And we literally, every year, I would, right when the draft started, I would put it on the radio and then pick up Nick Yeoman and Lafayette and we would drive and they would be making the last pick of the NBA draft as I pulled into my great way to second pull. It was great. It was great. Wait, I, I know you're not born. Is this Come Reggie? On, Tennessee. Y'all done played the coast 20 times in 10 years and you done won three games. Stop it. Now, 650,000 people were upset by that because they were all there in person. Somehow, I knew we would end up there. (laughs) It was a matter of time. Uh, The the picks for the Colts, they've got their own in round one, round two. They do not have the round three pick. That is, I think, Denver's. They traded that for Nick Cross last year. They do have Washington's third round pick. They have their own fourth. They have three picks in round five. So the Robert Mathis round... Uh, one via the Naheem Hines trade, the other via the Stefan Gilmore trade, and then they have a couple of seventh rounders. If you I'll, think the NFL draft uh, attendance numbers are fudged, let me introduce you to some WrestleMania attendance numbers. Rack your brain. They do the same thing? Mm-hmm. Now, how, though? Like, in an indoor facility? Isn't that a little bit more... Well, I think they just pump it up like a couple thousand. We're like, yeah, like, there's no way that... 86,000 people. Were Do you think Indy 500 numbers are fudged, Jake? Um, I don't think they are by the venue. I think they are in, I can tell you this. Like infield crowds? Yes. So they are retroactively. Like people that say like there were 400 to half a million people there. N- never. I don't think the Indianapolis 500 has ever, I can tell you, the largest ever was the 2016 Indy 500. And that number, I think, was right at about 330,000 people. The The permanent seating around the venue at one time, and people forget, they've taken seats out. They can put some back in as well. They did for the 100th. Uh, permanent seating, I believe, at one time, it was either 258, 850, or 285, 580. Didn't Kurt Cavan count them all? Yeah. So I, let's say 260 for, on average, 260 for the sake of argument. The infield is the one where people get, you know, oh, they get 150,000. No, the infield would have like 30,000, 40,000 people. We could really use some fudging of our listener numbers, I think, but to think about, help us out with our that's bosses. True. And but think rankings. about that, though, and, and then I'm done with it. <laughs> is he, though, Mark? The, the 2016 Indy 500, if you were there, I mean, it was insane how many people were there there were week-long press conferences about how to get everybody in and out of the place and the usa today newspaper said this weekend at one in every 1100 americans will be at the indianapolis motor speedway on sunday that's how many people were there i mean it was 330 something like that and the nfl tells us that double that amount of people were in a 10 square block area in nashville tennessee for the draft please don't ask bob costas this Oh, he'd, he'd agree with me. Bob Costas in 15. Mark, any reference there or any semblance for that intro? Uh, Jake made a reference earlier to Shane Steichen and the Colts doing like a hello, my name is uh, introduction to each other. 
Oh, I like that. Boy, Shane Steichen, guys. I mean, I know we we felt that when we had him on the combine. That dude is not up there to just let out air. He just he gets right to the point, and when he's done, he's done. He is not wasting words. Um, yeah, you don't want to have him necessarily on sixty minutes and try to really get too expansive on anything outside of football. Locked in a lab kind of guy. Locked in a lab. All Bill Belichick. Ball. Yeah, I mean, obviously Belichick comes off as just like old curmudgeon. I don't think Shane Steichen necessarily comes off as that, but I just, I mean, boy, I'm thinking back to our interview with him. I'm like, how the hell did we get a laugh or two out of him? Did we talk about how he was on Prices Right back in the day? I think you did mention that. Do we have clips of that? I don't think. I don't, what, did, what game did he get to play? Did he make it up on the stage, no, or was he just? I think he got out like he was the third one. You know, got outbid by a dollar or something like that, right. and then the fourth one ends up going up on stage. I, yeah, I did not know that. I was, but you know, next time we do what have him on. What would be your dream game to play on Prices Right? Well, I've got a soft spot for the golf game. Okay, Mark. Plinko. Plinko is a very common answer yeah, in this sure. regard. Mm-hmm. About the. Uh, Mine's the cliffhanger. Yeah, I was going to say, now, what's the music the, is just beautiful. Which is the one that's the biggest buzzkill where you're like, oh, come on, man. Of all the games, like that's what I got to play? Um, hmm. Boy, it's been so long since I've I watched Prices Right. I've kind of checked out since Drew Carey's taken Drew over Carey is on it. terrible on it. I mean, not that... Did we go straight from Barker to Carey? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I like Drew Carey. I think he's a funny guy. He seems like a nice guy. But, I mean, he is just so low energy on there. It's just like, what is going on? I think the game where you have to guess the grocery store prices. Oh, I'm excellent at that. Yeah, but that wouldn't be like... That's the entire up, show. No, I know, but the one where it's like, higher or lower. Is that what it's called? Higher or lower? <laughs> you know, I think the game on the price is right I don't like is where you got to guess the prices. I, purely, I, the name of the show the, is the price the number. High, right. low. That's what it is. High, low. <laughs> I would just like Crisco, one... higher or lower than 375 <laughs> I'd just like one, one spin of the wheel. Just yeah, one spin of the wheel. I, oh, as a kid, I always envisioned that it would come unhinged and then like slide off and just roll right through the some crowd. Of those, some of those old folks that spun, I was waiting for one to like just get concussed <laughs> and get belted in the head with that thing. Don't well, forget to spay and neuter your dogs and someone get Ethel off the stage, please. <laughs> Ethel. Uh-huh. Okay. But yeah, I don't think Shane Sykin's going to be getting too, um, you know... Yeah, it's my favorite movie. I remember when we asked him what six-pack of beer he would buy. Did he eventually get to bourbon? Is that where he got? He did. I think he said Corona. By the way, you know, after the show, Bob Barker would stop at the gas station, Mark? Mm -hmm. That's where he was pumping Ethel. Oh, boy. In my opinion, that sucked. That's a more, more of a blue comment What's that, that you've made boy, in quite a, a while. After hearing that, I'm kind of hoping Bob Costas doesn't call in. <laughs> I'm just saying. Like Jake will be here for that interview. Now, Bob Costas is going to join us here in a few. Again, we'll have Ted Karras to round out the show. Nothing on the NBA front tonight from a play-in format. Uh, Tuesday and Wednesday. And then we'll have two games tomorrow night. Again, it'll be the Hawks and the Bulls to try and get to the 8th seed. Thunder and T-Wolves to be the 8th seed out west. I, the T-Wolves, I mean, with all the turmoil, and they, and yet they're still here with a chance to salvage it, right? Fighting Michael Grady's. Got a win to move on. Literally fighting, right? Literally fighting. Uh, and then uh, all eight first-round series will get underway this weekend, four on Saturday, four on Sunday. The rolling of the big dice wouldn't be very exciting either, right? I oh, mean, it's I, just I, that little... I always, I always kind of like that. Really? Yeah. What about the one where you got to 
write down the the numbers with the front and back end of the car that always seemed to befuddle people they'd like keep yeah. writing the same combinations down you're you're so nervous up there that's, that's too much clearly of a mind it. you know what it's clearly it and i think the same thing happens with people on wheel of fortune like i think it's very easy for us to watch wheel of fortune and be like what is this guy doing but i think up there it's it, you just get totally rattled right it's kind of a stage fright. It's like when this luncheon thing, I got to speak today, and I get terrified of getting up there in public speaking. I'm already kind of like, like I almost asked if I could just take off at nine o'clock just to start to kind of get in the mindset because it's my number one fear. Oh, I thought that was because you usually take off at nine o'clock. <laughs> no, it's usually, it's, a it's usually when I just start showing up. Do you think they will clone Vanna White? Have they not I done that already? <laughs> what's that? I said, have they not done that already? I think there were a lot of people back in the day that certainly would... Easy now. I you, know. How many, you've already you had, had one this joke No, 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 no. I'm saying like joke. back in the day, there were a lot of people that like if they could have done that scientifically would have been like, yes, let's have as many Vanna Whites on Earth as possible. I mean, man, I'm telling you, in the mid-80s, she was the biggest superstar in on television. Jake might be off by 9 o'clock I wish the today. Reds bullpen could save things like you just <laughs> saved that one. That's... I mean, that's all I was meaning by that. Vanna White you was a massive star. You should leave with your, 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 your speech. Start with, how many kids know who Vanna White is? <laughs> how many? How old are these people? Are they your age or are they they're like Business kids? professional. Oh, okay. Here's I thought it was like a high school or something. They're, they're business professionals, <laughs> which means they theoretically, from a maturation standpoint, are all older than I. Mm-hmm. How's that? Okay. Danny, I thought you were like speaking at a school or something like that. You guys are getting on me. Mark I thought you were back at Eastwood. <laughs> I, I, doing a show with you guys half the time is like stern. And then I say one thing and you get mad at me. The only stern I do is David. Right? Daniel Stern is more you, I'd say. <laughs> he was great in Breaking Away. He was. You know? Breaking right. Away, tad, tad overrated, right? Ooh. Yeah, I could... I, I'm not going to. At this point, I think Hoosiers is a tad overrated. Boy, that's a juicy way to end the segment. Uh, Bob Costas joins us next. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba da ba ba ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Boy, certainly one of the more iconic moments 
this state, the return of Michael Jordan, and among other things, Bob Costas has been a part of, whether it's Bob Knight, certainly the ABA days. Um, I think Indiana has held a lot of pretty important places, not only in the sports world, but for his broadcasting career. And uh, the gold standard of this industry joins us right now on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Bob, first off, I want to thank you for speaking to the students at IU a few weeks back, and certainly thank you for taking some time with us on this Thursday morning. Hi, Kevin. How you doing? I am great. Um, I guess when you hear back that call, maybe the lead-in to MJ's return game, you think back to your days down in Bloomington with Bob Knight, shouldn't the, the ABA, what does the state of Indiana kind of mean to you from a broadcasting standpoint? Well, it's almost all basketball in that respect. I've gone to a few Indianapolis Indians games, that they're still called the Indians, during my time generally being around Indianapolis to call basketball. Uh, and now I guess as I think about it, there was a Super Bowl in which the Giants, uh, for a second time, beat the Patriots that was held in Indianapolis. But apart from that, uh, and the occasional minor league game, almost all those memories are basketball, including my early years in the ABA, the last two years of the league's existence, I was the voice of the Spirits of St. Louis, who unfortunately for them, or maybe in one sense fortunately, didn't get in on the merger uh, with the NBA. The Pacers did. The Pacers were, as you know, the flagship franchise of the league. They won three of the nine championships during the league's existence. And the Nets, who had Dr. J, although they quickly traded him to the 76ers, they got in. And the San Antonio Spurs and the Denver Nuggets got in. The Spirits didn't. I'll make this as brief as I possibly can. They struck a deal uh, with the NBA, which was trying to indemnify itself against antitrust suits and make the other surviving or not surviving ABA teams go away. And they satisfied them in different ways. And the Spirits owners said, what if we got a cut of the NBA's television rights? And at that time, those television rights weren't worth all that much in the mid-1970s. In fact, the NBA finals were being seen in many markets on tape delay after the late news. So they said, sure. But there was a clause in there that said, in perpetuity. So the Spirits owners who actually bought the franchise for about $3 million, wound up collecting something like a billion dollars before the NBA finally bought them out. So when I said, unfortunately, the Spirits didn't get in, maybe for basketball fans in St. Louis, but not for the owners. Bob, I've always been curious because of that, and I think that your connection to the Spirits of St. Louis, I know notably in the city of St. Louis, even with all of your vast baseball work, I think there was always kind of a a point of pride to St. Louisans about the fact that you were the voice of that franchise. And I also think that for that reason, you know, old guard Indiana Pacer fans took a pride in the fact that you were a part of ABA lore. Did you, and I know that you have to have an objectivity within your profession when you're doing games for Mm -hmm. the NBA and NBC, but did you yourself feel almost a part of a kinship to those four franchises of which you mentioned? No question. Um, And when the ABA players finally, in this past year, uh, got a settlement and pension benefits uh, that they long had sought, uh, I was a modest part of that effort, calling it to the NBA's attention. A lot of it has to do with your first experiences when you're young and they resonate with you more. But also, the ABA uh, was such a crazy adventure. It was simultaneously ridiculous and sublime. And those of us who were part of it, even in a small way as an announcer rather than a player, 
we're part of an everlasting fraternity. If I should cross paths with Dr. J or with Bob Nedelicki or Freddie Lewis, who played uh, for, for the Pacers, or a whole list of other people, Iceman, George Gervin, people like that, Artist Gilmore, um, if I should cross paths with them, no matter what else is going on in the world or in basketball, the topic of conversation, either immediately or quickly, turns to the ABA. And when it comes to doing a game nationally, I think fans of every sport and every national announcer will tell you this. They somehow feel that the national broadcaster is not giving their team enough respect. I don't know how New York Yankee fans can possibly feel that network announcers are being unfair to them, but that's what partisanship does to blind people to logic and objectivity. So when I was doing a Pacers, let's say, against Lakers NBA final in 2000, I wasn't rooting for the Pacers or for the Lakers, but I was, to your point, aware of the ABA history. So if it was worth noting... And if Pacer fans nodded uh, in appreciation, if I noted that ABA history, for example, I remember when the Pacers came out for the first game of that final, I noted how many championships the Lakers had won. And I said, the Pacers have not won an NBA championship, but it's a point of pride that they won three of the nine ABA championships. Uh, Just knowing that kind of stuff and tossing it in there where appropriate wasn't a matter of rooting, but it was a matter of understanding and appreciation. It's a legendary Bob Costas. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Bob, obviously, you talk about polarizing figures in sports history, particularly in this state. I don't think there's anybody um, top the list more than Bob Knight. Uh, your interactions with him, on, off the camera, how would you describe that relationship? We had a very respectful, appreciative, and friendly relationship. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how Bob decided which members of the media he respected and didn't. Uh, but we always got along very well. I think part of it was, you know, Bob was old-school loyal about this stuff. It just so happened that in the early 80s, uh, I did the Big Ten Game of the Week, and the analyst on the games was Fred Taylor, who had been Bob's coach at Ohio State on teams that were very, very good. Um, Bob, I think, was the sixth man on those teams, but he was very loyal to his coach. And because of that connection, uh, I think he... Um, had a fond view of me, and he was willing to sit for interviews with me, some of which were just reminiscing and telling good stories, and Bob could be a great storyteller. He had a sharp wit. Um, When I say had, he's receded from the public eye for the most part now, so I'm thinking back on, on those moments. But also, Bob was willing to sit for some rather pointed questions. It was never antagonistic, but I tried to make it journalistic, and I think he appreciated that. He never, he never bristled at any of it. He'd state his case and maybe push back, but he understood that that was my job and he had his, and so we always have had a very good relationship. Bob, I would think in terms of relationships, Bob Costas is our guest on the Payless Liquors Hotline. There is a, a responsibility in broadcasting, as I mentioned, like an objectivity, but sometimes that can be compromised internally i guess i'm thinking of this and if the timelines don't add up i apologize but i'm guessing that at some point oj simpson would have been a colleague of yours of course he was Um, yes yeah and so you're doing the nba finals in 94 and you're having to 
you know, to to juxtapose between the game behind you and then throwing to Tom Brokaw in the studio about this fall from grace of your former colleague. When you look back on that, do you have like almost first person recounts of it, or was it all kind of a surreal blur? And was it a challenge to just in that moment grasp everything that was taking place? It was certainly unlike anything else that uh, I ever confronted during my career, but it wasn't really that much of a journalistic question because I wasn't interviewing OJ. I wasn't discussing the particulars of the case. By then, the murders had happened on Sunday. By then, it's Friday, Game 5 of the NBA Finals between the Rockets and the Knicks at Madison Square Garden. By then, OJ had already been charged with the crime and described by the police as a fugitive from justice. So that much was known. And what was happening was, as those old enough to recall it will vividly remember, uh, he's in a white Bronco being driven by his former teammate and longtime friend A.C. Cowlings, and it's moving down the 405, one of the freeways in Los Angeles, and you couldn't even really call it a chase. It's almost like it's a slow-speed thing, and there's all kinds of helicopter cameras. So for hours, this this process of the Bronco making its way to who knows where. Eventually, it was his home in Brentwood. And the country, of course, was riveted by this. And NBC Sports had to, and News had to make a decision. What were we going to do? I wasn't part of this decision. Dick Ebersol, who ran NBC Sports and did so brilliantly, had to make the decision. What do we do? Uh, this wasn't a regular season game. It was the fifth game of the finals, tied two games to two. And so part of the time, they had me come on the air, halftime or pregame show, throw it to Tom Brokaw. Uh, Another part of the time while the game was going on, sometimes we went full screen to the game. Other times, half the screen was the game, and the other half was this Bronco just moving at about 30 miles an hour down the freeway with almost no other cars around it. Of course, at the time, we didn't know how it would resolve itself. Uh, A.C. Cowlings had said... They had a, a car phone, which then was not a given. Uh, most people didn't have cell phones in 1994. Uh, but Cowlings was in touch with the police. And so he's telling them that O.J. has a gun to his head. So we don't know if he's going to shoot himself in the car. We don't know when the when he finally arrives at his home in Brentwood whether he'll surrender peacefully or whether there's a confrontation with the police. Nobody knows. So it's tremendously tense. And many of us at NBC had worked with O.J., and whatever we now know or think we know about him, all we knew him as was one of the most personable and friendly and enjoyable to be around people uh, that we had worked with. Ahmad Rashad was especially close to him, and Ahmad was very shaken. Uh, O.J. wrote what could only be interpreted as a suicide note, and the police had that note that day, and portions of it were known to the public, and he mentioned many of his close friends. Ahmad was one of them. So did we have a personal stake in this? Yeah. There were people who were weeping, but there's a professional job you have to do, and luckily for me, it didn't require me to speculate about any of the aspects of the case or anything like that. It was evident what was happening. Tom Brokaw described it as a Shakespearean tragedy or a Greek tragedy, I can't remember which. Um, and that's what it was when you consider what O.J. had been and the circumstances now surrounding him. 
Um, and so I think the only thing to do in that situation was to be as down the middle as you possibly could. There was no need to embellish it or say <clears throat> how tragic or awful or terrible or dramatic or theatrical it was. It was apparent to everyone watching that it was all those things. Uh, there was a documentary done about it, and apparently they, uh, not apparently, they did somehow uh, acquire some footage of me from off the air, and I'm talking to the producers, and they had wanted me to note the score at halftime and whatnot, and you, you hear me talking back to the uh, producers, not angrily, but saying, there's no need for that. I don't need to identify myself. I don't need to say what the score was. I don't need to say how many points Ewing or Elijah has. Let's just get to Tom Brokaw and let him handle it. Uh, he was the face of NBC News, and rightly so. So as, as dramatic as it may have seemed, the only difficult part was to be detached. Uh, it wasn't that difficult in terms of journalism at all, but to be emotionally detached, that was, I guess, the tricky part, and I guess we were able to do that. Bob, what's the most, um, what's the most nervous, maybe the most challenging interview you've ever walked into? Um, you know, this is not really that uh, a question of journalism that much, but I think this is true for all of us. The stuff that really struck you when you were young has greater meaning. And so when I interviewed Paul McCartney for the late night show that I had on NBC after David Letterman, which was not a sports show, we had occasional sports guests, but mostly it was across the spectrum of interesting people. So McCartney at that time, he's much more accessible now. The landscape has changed in media. But at that time, he had not done a televised interview in the United States in 10 years. Um, and as he sat down, it was 1991, as he came into the studio, couldn't have been nicer, put me immediately at ease. Despite his mega fame, he was a very approachable person, is a very approachable person. Uh, all I can think about is being 11 years old and sitting on the floor in the living room of my parents' home and watching the Beatles in black and white on the Ed Sullivan Show, which was a huge thing in 1964, uh, and wondering... And I didn't often have this thought, but wondering, I wonder if the people I went to school with, to grade school and high school, might be watching this and saying, oh my gosh, Bobby Costas is talking to Paul McCartney. So it was for that reason. Um, you know, if you're of a certain age, interviewing, let's say, Will Chamberlain might be more intimidating than interviewing Michael Jordan or LeBron James, because Will Chamberlain was a big deal when you were a kid. So I don't know that it was, <clears throat> it was challenging or nervous, but a certain kind of excitement more than anxiety attaches itself to moments like that. Well, Bob, I think the thing that Bob Costas is our guest <clears throat> on the Payless Liquors Hotline, you know, I, I think the thing that your career is unparalleled and unprecedented, certainly in its decoration, and, and those things across the board that you have been able to do. And so we as the spectators and the viewers and the listeners look at it and say that you were always poised and had the right thing to say or do in those moments, clearly. But for you personally, I think it's important for people to understand this, especially young people that might be listening. I'm guessing there had to be a moment in your career where despite the accolade, you felt that you failed yourself or fell short of where you wanted to be. And I think it's important for everyone to realize that even the very best of the best have moments or days where 
the bar was higher than where they felt they were. Can you tell me one of those moments and how you handled it? I can think of a couple. I'll confine it to one. Um, in 2012, December of 2012, Jovan Belcher, uh, linebacker with the Kansas City Chiefs, murdered his fiance and then went to the Chiefs training facility and in front of his coach and the general manager of the team, shot himself in the parking lot and killed himself. Uh, so it's a murder-suicide situation. And I think it happened on a Friday. And so throughout the weekend, whether it was ESPN or other sports outlets, and all the pregame and halftime and studio shows, NFL Network, and all the networks that carry games on Sunday, they'd all covered it from various angles. And usually, uh, I was hosting the pregame, halftime, and postgame from the site of the Sunday night football games, which was the most widely seen stuff, uh, widely seen programming in all of American television at that time. I guess it still is. So by then, everything that could be said from a certain direction seemingly had been said. And I didn't know that I was even going to be on at halftime that night because they had devoted the entire halftime. They didn't even show any highlights. They devoted the entire halftime to interviews with Chiefs players and personnel. And then with about four minutes to go in the second quarter, they said, we'd like you to do 90 seconds. And Jason Whitlock, who ironically has since gone on to become something of uh, a hero of the right wing, uh, which is fine, that's his choice, he was a very prominent Kansas City sports writer. He played football himself, and he was based in Kansas City. And he wrote a long piece, which was available online uh, on Sunday. And a producer handed me that piece, highlighting a, a portion which Jason had written about a gun culture in sports and in America. Not gun control, not anti-Second Amendment. I don't think there are many people who have a problem with a sane interpretation of the Second Amendment. <clears throat> but he was saying that there is a, an attitude toward guns uh, that has pervaded parts of the sports world, and it never leads to anything good. And I quoted that. I didn't have enough time, I thought, to put something together myself. I quoted that, and I really misjudged how volatile an issue that is, and how to this day there are people who think that I would be happy if every gun in America, like all nearly 400 million guns in America, were confiscated, or that I oppose the Second Amendment. No, I don't oppose a sane interpretation of the Second Amendment. As anyone can see in all the subsequent events since then, Sandy Hook happened only weeks after that, and all the other school shootings and, and mass shootings in this country, we have a problem. I thought it was self-evident that that problem had touched the sports world. If you were to Google even today, athletes with guns, the long, long list of folly, criminality, and tragedy attached to that would take forever to read on the air. If, in fairness, you wanted to Google athletes with guns and something good comes out of it, that's a very, very short list. That doesn't mean that we should repeal the Second Amendment, but it is an issue. So I put it out there, and I was foolish to think that everyone would understand what I was saying. But it's such, or what Jason Whitlock had said, it was such a hot-button issue that people have, they go off on it. As soon as the subject is guns, there are people in this country, the NRA and others, who immediately go, 
from A to Z, and the interpretation is uh, they want to take our guns away, they don't want us to be able to defend ourselves, uh, they think that the gun itself causes an inanimate object, caused the, uh, the tragedy, uh, they're putting the blame on the gun rather than on the perpetrator, none of which was true. But I should have been sophisticated enough to understand that that was the possible reaction. And then what also in retrospect I had failed to do was I could have, I'm fairly good through the years, ad-libbing on the air. I didn't have to have something written. I could have done it off the top of my head. And what I should have said in that moment is whenever tragedy intrudes upon our games, you hear a number of by now almost offensive cliches, thoughts and prayers, and this really puts it all in perspective. And yet that perspective seems to last for about five minutes until we begin obsessing again about the game or what our team might do in the second round of the draft. If we're really looking for some perspective to come out of moments like this, then a truly serious and ongoing conversation should begin about a number of issues. First and foremost, domestic violence. And are those who play a brutal and violent game more inclined toward domestic violence and violence itself than their athletic peers. We know that the brain is not fully developed, roughly speaking, until someone is 25 years old. What about damage to the prefrontal cortex, which has an effect on impulse control? What about the possible witch's brew mixture of that with performance-enhancing drugs, alcohol, recreational drugs? That's something we should focus on, along with the whole relationship of athletes and guns. Not talking here about anyone's responsible, lawful exercise of the legitimate Second Amendment rights, but about a certain attitude toward guns that pervades parts of society, including, including the sports world. Now, I just said that to you off the top of my head. I could have said that that night and should have said that that night and put the focus on domestic violence. So it was a missed opportunity. I actually regret missing the opportunity to focus on domestic violence more so than I regret, although I do, the fact that a lot of people still, for some ridiculous illogical reason, think I said something I didn't say or that I ever believed something I've never believed. Bob, we'll end with this, and we can't thank you enough for your time this morning and all the stories. Um, Mark, our producer, led off with Michael Jordan's return game at Market Square Arena and your intro from that game. What memories do you have of that moment and you know, taking the mic to paint the picture of one of the more iconic moments the sports world has ever seen? Oh, it was a deeply dramatic moment, and I guess it might have been slightly more dramatic if it had happened in Chicago, but I think it was good that it happened in Indianapolis at Market Square Arena because basketball fans in Indiana, whether it's high school, college, pro, basketball fans in Indiana are deeply appreciative. They understand the history, and they appreciated the moment. Uh, they were very receptive to Michael Jordan, and they were very appreciative when he came out on the floor. And it's one of those little challenges. It doesn't really matter all that much uh, in, in terms of the history of the world, but it's one of those little moments where there's a challenge as a broadcaster. There wasn't any script. Whatever it was I said, I had lived. Um, and you didn't know for exactly what the reaction would be. 
And so I think that we captured that moment pretty well, and that's what your job is. It's not that big of a deal, but you, whatever your job is, you're a carpenter, you're a bus driver, whatever your job is, you want to do it as well as you possibly can. That's where the satisfaction comes, and I think we did a good job in that moment. Bob, my last question would be this. It is oftentimes, I guess, the role of the viewing audience, the fans, other media people, to determine what we believe to be the defining moment of a broadcaster's career or their signature pinnacle call. But what is yours in terms of your viewpoint? When you look back on your career and the totality of your career and all of the great moments, all of the great sports, and the vast thing that that all encompasses, the one to you that you would most want people to remember about Bob Costas is which? Well, I guess if I had to pick one, it would be Michael Jordan's last shot as a Chicago Bull against Utah in the NBA Finals in 98 because the coverage of that game combined a couple of things that through my career I hope I did reasonably well. You want to call the play well, but you also want to frame the moment when it calls for it. Not every moment is worthy of that treatment, but sometimes uh, a situation will rise to that level. Think of Vin Scully's call of Hank Aaron's home run, his 715th home run, to pass Babe Ruth. And those who are old enough to remember realize that that moment was very, very different than when Barry Bonds hit 756 to pass Hank Aaron's record. That moment was freighted with not just sports drama, but with sociological significance because of the racism that Aaron had faced uh, as he pursued Ruth's record. Milo Hamilton called that moment on the radio. He was the radio voice of the Braves. And his call as a baseball play-by-play call is excellent. Scully, however, in the aftermath, after the tumult from the crowd had subsided, Scully said, what a wonderful moment for baseball and for America. A black man is receiving a standing ovation in the Deep South for passing a record of an all-time baseball idol. Framing that moment in that way, when you hear what Vin said, and there was more, when you hear what Vin said in that moment, you realize that he captured not just the baseball significance, but the larger significance. With Jordan's shot, it wasn't exactly the same in all respects, but it was clear that this was the end. We didn't know he'd come back and play for the Washington Wizards. It's almost a footnote. This is really the the capstone moment of Michael Jordan's career. I think what I said in the moments surrounding that while the game was going on still holds up pretty well. I hadn't heard much of it for 20 years until the Last Dance documentary came along a few years ago, and it was filled with uh, NBC coverage of that last season, and I was happy to say that, or feel that most of it held up pretty well. So the call holds up, and then NBC asked me to do kind of a closing essay about the, the Bulls dynasty and Jordan's career. And if I guess if I could uh, save one thing, and I haven't given it that much thought, but if I could save one thing, it would be that call of that game, especially the closing moments of that game, and then the essay at the end, because it encompasses some of the things that I tried to do during my career, and I guess that night I did them reasonably well. Bob, cannot thank you enough for, again, what you did a couple weeks ago, just the throw of a lifetime for those students in Bloomington, and I thought it was just great storytelling and, and the core beliefs, that, that true and pertinent one. I know I said that to you, but that's the one that I think stands above the rest for me. So I appreciate you doing that and certainly appreciate you giving some time with us here on this Thursday morning. Thank you. 
Thanks very much, Kevin. That's Bob Costas right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Uh, Jake, you just hear that voice, and you're kind of like, wow. Oh, I mean. All the memories. Obviously, it defines, you know, there are certain, and I think that's the ultimate, you know, for broadcast, music, whatever it might be, when you hear a certain cadence and you know exactly that that means it's a big moment. Now, obviously, um, this would not be listed amongst his big moments being on our program, but really? uh, he said, so? can you send me that? I want to send I that to Mark say, Cohen. I think he might put that <laughs> on his right. website, right? Um, LinkedIn, maybe, in case Bob Jake wants to get another job. Some really good questions. That's right. No, but, but yes, when you hear his voice, there are... And, you know, probably Buck has fallen into that category now. When you hear their voice, you know, wow, this is a big game. And as a fan, there was a particular thrill of hearing them call your team because it meant that your team had ascended to the point where it was at the upper stratosphere of attention nationwide. Just in our state, a Super Bowl, NBA Finals, interviewing Bob Knight and some of the more bigger interviews that Knight ever did, the ABA history, and that's just in our state. Yeah. You know, we're not even getting into Well, it's interesting because Olympics you, and everything else you that know, obviously is on the resume. I recall when when Jordan was playing his last game here as a wizard and I went down for the shoot around. I was working at Channel 6 and during the media availability, I asked Jordan, you know, hey, Indianapolis has got to be I mean, you've got to have some this ranks high, I would think in your in your mind of cities where you've had significant moments and jordan said yeah i mean i guess so you know the 98 playoffs and then i guess is where i came back but you know he's probably thinking to himself like i don't know man i beat seattle for a title i beat utah for a title i beat you know he i beat the the lakers for a title and he's thinking about you know i, I got past the pistons so in, in the core of an athlete there is such a widespread net and in bob costas's case kevin one of the great true testaments to a broadcasting career would be that he could go on the radio right now and do a morning show in any of 10 different markets and and they would feel the same resonance of the number of things that he had connected to their city because he has done so many things yeah the locality of it for us yes but the national international i mean no one checks the box like him. Someone um, says uh, that was the best interview this show has done. It was Matthew. And I said, so the new power ranking is Bob Costas, one, Reese Monaco, two? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, voice of the Cowboys, Reese Monaco, for those that might have missed that. We've had some legendary pop quiz callers, to be fair. I would rank them mm-hmm. very high. We'll do an abbreviated pop quiz here coming up next. Uh, should we do a very quick morning check Very quick. Yeah. Very quick. The morning check down. On 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Last night in the NBA, keeping their seasons alive, the Chicago Bulls, who beat the Raptors 109-105 in the Oklahoma City Thunder, 123-118. to They knocked out the New Orleans Pelicans. Now, on the baseball side of things, the Bulls probably were trying to soften the blow for the city of Chicago of the Cubs losing 5-2 to the Mariners yesterday. But the Cubs got some reprieve in the fact that their NL Central foe, the Cincinnati Reds, also well, loses. They go? were swept by the Braves 5-4. I can always fit Thank that in Thank you so there. much. Uh, elsewhere, Orioles and Athletics 8-4. It was Oakland over Cute Fella and Mark's Diamondbacks won. Tampa Bay Rays are still unbeaten there, 12-0. Pop quiz is next. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. 
Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Brought to you by Jiffy Lube, Indiana's favorite oil change since 1985. All right, we got to go pretty quick on today's pop quiz. Jake, number one through eight. Uh, we'll go with number two. Two. Don. Don, what's up, Don? What's up? Don, how you doing? Good, I'm on the radio. I got lucky and got in last week. <laughs> Don, you're, you're following Bob Costas. Congratulations. Hey, Bob is a beast, man. He is a beast. You think he's ever been called Humble Beast, right, Jake? That's, that's right, Humble Beast, yep. Uh, Somebody made fun of me for making fun of tattoos. Uh, Jake, go ahead and throw number one at Don. All right, here we go, Don. Question number one for you. The Tampa Bay Rays improved to 12-0 with their win over the Red Sox last night. Name the last team to start a season with at least 12 straight wins. Was it the Milwaukee Brewers, the Atlanta Braves, the Detroit Tigers, or the New York Yankees? One of my favorite cities, by the way, Don. I talk a lot about how I like this city. Oh, good Lord. Uh, I think it's Atlanta. Yeah. Great airport. Uh, number two here. Atlanta completed a sweep of the Reds last night. Braves starter Spencer Strider striking out nine Reds in five innings of work. It was the seventh straight start in which Strider has struck out nine or more batters, one behind the Braves franchise record. Name the Braves starter who holds that franchise record. Is it Warren Spahn, Greg Maddox, John Smoltz, or Steve Avery? Oh, man. I'm a golden Greg. Really enjoy listening to this guy right now. Which one'd you go with, Don? Greg Maddox. Okay. Uh, question three The Oklahoma City Thunder, 23.3 is their average year of age. Should they win and get into the playoffs, they will set the mark for youngest team in playoff history. They will be breaking the record of who? A, their own record from a previous regime. B, the Pacers. C, the Bucks. D, the Grizzlies. Wow. I'm going to say their own record. Nice. Good work there, Don. Number four, DeMar DeRozan at 23 points in the Bulls win over the Raptors last night. It's the second time in history that the Raptors played against the franchise's all-time leading score in a postseason game. Who was the first and a great dunker? DeMar DeRozan, Chris Bosh, Kyle Lowry, or Vince Carter? Well, if he's a great doctor, it's Vince Carter. Nice. All right, last one. On this date in 1926, Walter Johnson of the Washington Senators threw his seventh career opening day shutout. Clayton Kershaw is the active leader in career shutouts with 15 total. Who was the last pitcher to throw at least 10 shutouts in a season and I think this guy hurt his hand on a ceiling fan in the World Series I think Bob Gibson John Tudor Juan Marichal or Dean Chance oh my god what was number two again Uh, that would be actually not only is number two John Tudor it's also the right one Uh, John Tudor was number two I like it (laughs) 
Don Don's closed no well. We need the Reds to be like Don. You know, kind of a shaky start, but closed well. Uh, the Rays are 12 and 0, the last team to start a season. Jake, your favorite city, not necessarily Atlanta, Milwaukee. Well, my favorite city is New York, but I do love Milwaukee, yeah. You blew it! Thank you, Don. Uh, John Smoltz was the other one that he got incorrect. Other than that, he ran him correctly. Ted Karras, pretty cool story about a local product who's had a hell of an NFL career. He joins us next. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. All right, let's head to the Payless Liquors Hotline right now. And I think a really, really cool story on and off the football field that, you know, probably deserves a little bit more attention is that of our next guest. And that would be Ted Karras. He's been in the NFL for seven years, played in more than 100 games, certainly uh, made a name for himself last year with the Cincinnati Bengals and their run as a captain for them. And the Indy native joins us now. Ted, good morning to you. Appreciate the time. Good morning, Kevin. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Um, let's actually begin, I, I think, to a really cool cause that uh, I know is close to both Jake and myself. Uh, Village of Marici, for those that don't know, uh, provides a ton of you know residential uh, community opportunities for adults with developmental disabilities. And you know, I've shared this story before. My mom's taught special ed for 30 years. Some of her students have lived there, and it's a place that our family thinks extremely highly of. Um, if you don't mind sharing what you have done in raising really an incredible amount of money for the village of Marici. Well, the village of Marici is on Fort Harrison over on the east side and founded by a cathedral family, the Rini's. And like, like you said, provides independent community services, independent living for adults, mostly with Down syndrome and autism, but all sorts of developmental disabilities. And last year we launched the Cincy hat. Um, I made a hat for my teammates. Uh, everyone loved it. We have a custom little Cincy logo with three, three claw marks coming off it. And the demand was so crazy. We decided to sell it for charity and up to this point sold over a half million dollars worth. So it's going to be able to, uh, the, the village of Marici is going to be able to build two more buildings based on some hat money. So I'm very, very grateful for this opportunity to be a part of an organization that does so much good. So then, of course, obviously, Ted, you think to yourself, okay, this went over well with the city where I'm playing. What about the city where I'm from? And so you parlayed that into the Indy hat, right? We have the Indy hat now. It's uh, Indy 500 themed. Really cool logo. It's been a fun offseason. I've just been, you know... We've been mocking up these logos, me and Matt Reaney, my uh, fellow Cathedral alum. Legend. And uh, we, we launched it uh, the other day. It was on, uh, we, we launched the IndieHat.com and the CincyHat.com. Go check these out. Um, all 100% of the proceeds all go to the Village of Marici. It's an amazing project. and employs villagers. And we have so many volunteers. And 
I'm so grateful for Cincinnati and now Indy for for diving into this cause. Now I, I'm rocking the hat, a uh, little checkered Y logo here. Um, I N D Y, of course. I think it's a great looking hat. You know, it's one of those things where I put it on um, the other night, and my wife's like, "Wow, that looks great on you." So I'm like, "Okay, this needs to be worn a little bit more." <laughs> so um, I appreciate that, Ted, and the Rini family. Uh, unbelievable humans there. So. Um, thrilled uh, uh, by that collaboration of what you guys are doing here locally. If I'm not mistaken, um, you know, when you think of the Indy 500, you certainly think of drinking some milk at the end. Um, don't you have a bit of a milk background and maybe your uh, physical development, if you don't mind sharing? No, this came out yesterday. I did. I, I drank a gallon of milk uh, mostly every day before school, when freshman and sophomore year of high school, and ended up gaining 100 pounds. Um, with other stuff too, I hit puberty and, <laughs> and I ate a lot of ate a lot of PB and J's as well. Um, and a lot of people are skeptical of it, but I'd never said I did it in an hour. I would wake up early and I, I would I would barely get it done. It was about a two hour process. I know MythBusters did one where you couldn't do it in an hour. I've never successfully done it in one hour, but I did get it done. Um, you can ask my family and friends. It was quite an obsession of mine. Uh, but ultimately, I'm glad I did it because I got to the NFL. So this wasn't some sort of like pledge ship turned wrong. I think it sounds like a college story that maybe Jake would would, would have had. This That's was right. Legitimate. Hey, um, I'm hitting puberty. I need to put on some weight if I want to be on the gridiron. I knew exactly what I wanted to do, Kevin, from an early age, and I knew I, I I'm, not, I'm naturally not you know as big as some of these guys in the NFL. So um, you know I have to work very hard to keep my weight on still to this day. Uh, just got a lift in, and beautiful Marion University's beautiful campus, nice weight room, and and we're getting ready to go in a week. So I think I'm going to hit some milk today as well. <laughs> you know, it's interesting to me your journey to the Cincinnati Bengals. I mean, it, you know, a circuitous one because that was not the franchise with which you started, but clearly you have found a home there. Um, how much of the NFL, aside from obviously the work going into it? How much of finding a home in the NFL is strictly situational and just getting into a place where your skill set matches exactly what it is that they're looking for? And, and does that make sense, what I'm asking? It does. And I think there's a certain level of, in any profession, taking some chances and, and trying to forge your own path. Um, I've been very, very lucky in my career. I've had great mentors, great coaches, and received – a lot of outstanding opportunities and that I've tried to take advantage of and, and, you know, fulfill to the maximum. So I'm very grateful for where I'm at. I do feel like I have a home in Cincy. Nothing is ever guaranteed in this league though. So I work tirelessly and there's a certain level of paranoia of someone trying to take your job. So it's a performance business and I'm ready to roll and we need to have a big year in 2023 for Cincinnati. Got 65 starts in his career. He's the Indy native, played for the Patriots, Dolphins, and now the Bengals. Ted Karras with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Ted, day three picks, playing more than 100 games in their career is not the norm, let alone a captain on one of the best teams in the NFL. If I were to tell you seven years ago this would be the back of your baseball card, what would you have said to that? Well, it would be the fulfillment of a lifelong dream. I'd be very grateful and thankful, and uh, you know, hope, hopefully, we could add a few more at the end of it too, with a with an orange ring to cap it off. That's that's really what what my main focus is. Cincinnati's never won a championship, and that's what you know. The guys we we show up next Monday to launch the 2023 season, and 
that's what we should be thinking about all spring, summer, and then going into fall. That's a question that you probably get a whole lot of, but obviously Tom Brady early in your career, Joe Burrow here right now. Um, As an offensive lineman, as a teammate, what do you want, what do you need out of the quarterback position, whether it's on the field or off the field? So the quarterback, I mean, obviously is a very unique position. You know, the most important position in sports, I think. Um, And one thing that they both bring is a certain level of cool leadership. They're, you know, the coolest guys, meaning that they have a relationship with everyone on the team. The organization runs through the quarterback, especially the ones I've been a part of. I've been very spoiled with quarterback play in my career. But between Tom and Joe, they have relationships with everyone in the building, and their leadership style is easy, cool, and and very friendly. So I think that, that that's a that's a formula that, a lot of QBs could take, but those those guys just had a great demeanor, and the organization benefits greatly from it. Now, I'm the oldest in this conversation by a long shot, so I'm the only the only one here that was old enough to remember Webster. Um, you know, so many people talk about the Karras name that you are obviously living up to, and your great uncle Alex, who was a great player but also was the star in the TV show Webster with Emmanuel Lewis. When's the last time in your lifetime, if at all, anybody ever referenced Webster? A lot of people reference Webster. You know, Alex, Alex had an unbelievable career and uh, just got posthumously inducted in the Hall of Fame Saw last that. year. And just the impact that he had, not only in football, but just culturally with some of his roles and, and how he carried himself. I mean, there's like six books written about him. I mean, he's an unbelievable, you know, member of our family, and very proud to be continuing the legacy of the Karras family. Ted, what's the best road environment you've ever been in in the NFL? I love going to Pittsburgh. I think Pittsburgh Stadium. I was sad to see the ketchup bottle uh, go. Yeah, that was a bummer. Um, yeah. Spoken like a true offensive lineman with that. Yeah, I, th- I thought that was a cool stadium. Um, you know, the only two stadiums I've never played in are Seattle and Green Bay, so. I like to check those off before before I'm done. But I, I, I always like going to Pittsburgh. I think uh, SoFi Stadium is actually really nice. I really enjoyed playing there. Um, but as far as road environments, I mean, our division is pretty pretty hostile. I mean, Baltimore, sure. Cleveland, and Pittsburgh. I mean, those are those are tough, gritty, physical road games. And and it's never go. It's never bad going to Hard Rock either down in Miami, especially when you're up in New England. In January, get a little reprieve from the cold. But I'd say the you know the best road fans I've been a part of is Pittsburgh. You know, it's interesting because playing at Cathedral. I mean, one thing about Cathedral football that I think we all know citywide. You don't have to go to Cathedral to know that there is kind of a family like atmosphere that goes with that and a camaraderie. Maybe that gets lost over the course of time in football as you move along in your career. But I'm curious, Ted, from your standpoint. When you guys as a franchise and as a team were involved in the DeMar Hamlin situation and in that game, and just you never know what the emotions are going to be, obviously. Not that you guys needed to be banded together. You're a team that had been to the Super Bowl together. But did that even continue to cement the bond amongst all of you and in an odd way maybe even create a kinship between your franchise and the Buffalo Bills? Absolutely. I think it created a, a level of solidarity in our country that we hadn't you know, felt for a long time. I mean, you turn on the news lately, it's been a lot of negative and 
this was a tragedy that turned into, uh, you know, a heroic effort by the first responders to save his life. And people were all coming together and, and praying for DeMar. And it was a crazy moment. That was the most electric I've ever seen a stadium in my career. I mean, the whole entire football universe was watching Monday Night Football that night. And that happened. And then everyone was silent. And I'm just, I'm, I'm very, very proud of both medical staffs that they got that done. And I'm very proud to be a part of a team that handled themselves the way we did in that situation. Ted, I, I'm looking at the hat right now, and I mentioned, again, um, kind of a little checkered feel to the Y, I-N-D-Y. It's a green, a yellow, and then a red in the background of the I, the N, and the D. Any sort of semblance with that? I, you know, I was just trying to go with some, some race colors, some, you know, like uh-huh. a stoplight almost. But, like, you know, they're waving the flag. We got the caution in a little. We didn't want to make it too colorful, but we have some accents of color in there. I think, you know, the people we worked with, it was really – me and Matt kind of coming up with it, but we, we did hire some artists to kind of clean it up for us. But everyone did a great job. I'm really happy with how it, it came together and hope it raised a lot of money for the village of Marici because you, you can find it at theindiehat.com the and you can also buy all of our Cincy gear at thecincyhat.com. Again, theindiehat.com. Absolutely great cause. The village of Marici Very provides cool. so many opportunities for um, adults with developmental disabilities. I did want to end with this, Ted. Um, I love Matt Rainey. You love M- Matt Rainey, one of the greatest humans around. Um, I think we also share a joint love for the Witchker family. And I wanted to thank you for your comments back in December. For those that don't know, Eugene Witchker, uh, the father of the Witchkers, died suddenly in December. And you had some comments uh, post-game of, of one of your games that I know were extremely touching to the family. So um, thank you for that. Uh, thank you for what you're doing here locally, even though you're not you know, maybe necessarily calling Indy home on a permanent basis right now. Uh, but it means a whole lot what you've done. Uh, certainly on the field, it's pretty remarkable, but off the field as well. So thank you for all of that, Ted. Oh, thank you guys. And thanks so much for having me on. And I uh, hope you have a great day. TheIndyHat.com. Perfect for your month of May. We are just a month and a half out from that and going to a really cool cause, Jake. Village of Marici. Um, I know something that my mom has several former students there. So, yeah, Ted Karras, probably not someone we talk about a whole lot here locally. It's a hell of an NFL run for him. No question. Really good player, right? I mean, day three pick, over 100 games in his career, captain for the bangles and you know what's funny too is illinois has more players in the pros than you would think that's a great great point they are a sneaky professional they are littered on nfl roster speaking of the fighting line mark maybe ryan walters next week you said mm-hmm. yep sounds like that might be a possibility next monday monday or wednesday so kind of go a couple directions with him obviously purdue in spring ball first year head coach ryan walters but also he's got a couple of guys that i think will hear their names called pretty early potentially a corner very early uh coming up here two weeks from tonight if you guys missed it the bob costas interview mark will definitely have that up probably splice that out on its own i assume mark mm-hmm Yep. Um, and thank you to Dane Brugler and Ted Karras as well. Jake, you are good to go tomorrow, right? I probably yep. should have double-checked this, but yeah. your flight to Long Beach is until later. Correct. Now, Monday is going to be fun for you guys because I come back on the red eye. Mm. Yay. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> Didn't know that hell and fun were synonyms, but yeah. Uh-huh. uh-huh. How about Bob Costas Sleep texting me, Monday. asking me, uh, saying, did I sound all right? I just woke up a few minutes before the interview. I said, oh, that's just like my co-host. <laughs> 
Yes, yeah, that's right. He and I woke up the same time this morning. Is that where the similarities stop? Yes. <laughs> we'll talk to yes. you guys tomorrow. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time.